Yeah, Nystrom. Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-Card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Plattenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I am your host, Joe Lazito. This show is brought to you by... Nope, no sponsors yet. Sponsorship opportunities are available if you're so inclined. Welcome to episode five, featuring none other than Mr. St. Louis himself, Jamie Rivers. Rivers was an absolute delight to interview. Uh, if you've ever heard him on either one of his many shows or one of his many appearances on other shows, you know the guy has stories for days. He's an amazing personality, and he just likes to have a good time. And I, I don't think this interview uh, is anything different than that. I had a blast interviewing him, and I thank Rivs for his time. A few things. So um, tonight, I'm recording the intro and the outro tonight, Saturday night. And uh, the, tonight was the night the Islanders played Las Vegas. So if you uh, didn't watch the game or you're living under a rock, we actually had the heavyweight bout that I have been waiting all season for, and I know I'm not alone. Three seconds into the game, Ross the Boss Johnston and Ryan Reeves, Revo 75, went at it three seconds into the game. And you know what? I know there's a small faction of people with big mouths out there that would like you to believe that Fighting is bad and nobody likes it, but it was weird because what happened was three seconds into the game and the entire arena, benches, fans, vendors, everybody was on their feet. Everybody was on their feet. And the one thing that you know you hear about Vegas fans is how, uh, how into the game they are. So it's not just... This, this isn't a fan base that is just in there for the fights. This is a fan base that saw their uh, expansion team go to the finals in year one. So uh, this is a pretty knowledgeable fan base. They love Ryan Reeves. They love what he brings to the table. And uh, I'm sure they knew who Ross Johnston was. So three seconds into the game, everybody got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. They got the heavyweight bout between Reeves and Ross Johnston. I would like to personally thank both Warriors for the battle, although I'm sure neither listens to the show. Uh, I love both you guys, and um, thank you for that. Uh, it was a war, and I loved it. A little while later, there was another fight, and that was because getting back to these weasels who don't like fighting, that want... Uh, 
somebody to handle it, whether it's the on-ice officials, whether it's people in Toronto or anyone in suits in New York, they don't want things to be handled on ice. They want someone else to take care of it, like the principal or, or somebody, I don't know. I can't get into their pinheads. So um, there was a, a play where uh, Nick Holden from Vegas gave Barzell, the Islanders' best player, a face full of boards by boarding him. Now, as you know, there's four officials on the ice. Not a single official put his arm up. So what happens? Anders Lee, who is not a fighter, but I, I got to tell you, he has done this on numerous occasions where he's come to the defense of his teammate. I love this guy. Uh, you, you know, you hear me talk about Matty Martin and, and Ross Johnston and Scotty Mayfield a lot, but I, I really have to start giving Anders Lee his props because he's one of the best players in the team and he never, ever thinks twice about stepping in for a teammate. And that's what he did tonight against Holden. And why did he have to do that? Because there wasn't a penalty on the play. Now, knowing the way Anders is, I'm sure he would have jumped in anyway uh, because he's a man and that's what men do. Um, but... Thankfully, he did because there wasn't a call on the ice and he held Holden accountable for his actions. So uh, once again, as far as tonight goes, unfortunately, the game did not go the way that uh, Islander fans wanted it to. Uh, hopefully some helps on the way. I, I'm not going to really get into that, but it's pretty obvious something needs to be done. But, uh, you know, bravo to Ross Johnston. Bravo to Ryan Reeves. And bravo to Anders Lee. Uh, you know, their effort does not go unnoticed on this show and by many fans. So I know there are certain writers out there and certain bloggers and a, a tiny faction of, of vocal people that, again, want you to think that this is all bad. But I don't know how many thousands of people that arena holds, but I think they would beg to differ. Uh, on to more business. On Valentine's Day on Facebook, I had posted something... Uh, a story about how I knew I was going to marry my wife, Andrea. And uh, I said it's, it's a bit of a long story to type that I would get into it on the show, so I'm going to uh, tell the story right now. So back in the 1991-92 season, uh, Montreal was in town, and I got the story wrong on the Facebook post, so I'll clarify it now. Montreal came to town, and... Uh, I have a friend named Lisa who's a photographer and she used to take pictures, sat in the front row, took pictures all the time and would always, was great. She would always take pictures of the tough guys that I liked. She'd always blow up eight by tens for me. Uh, you know, since Andrea and I had been together, she's a friend of Andrea's now too. Uh, but at the time she was just my friend. And uh, I don't remember what game it was, but when I saw her, she gave me some eight by tens of Todd Ewan. And uh, I was sitting with Andrea at the game, and she was looking at the pictures. And she said, who is that? And I said, that's Todd Ewan. He plays for Montreal. And she basically said, you and you and um, name sounds familiar. Um, she goes, I think I, she goes, I, I have a hockey stick with that name on it. And I go, well, I said, I don't know how that would be possible. I said, I'm, I said, his brother Dean he plays, um, I guess at that point, it would be Capital District. I said, he's, he's basically my best buddy, and uh, he plays for Capital District. I, I said, I don't know how you would have gotten a, a stick with either with Ewan on it from either one of them. Uh, Dean's only had a couple of training camps up here uh, 
played in a handful of exhibition games. I doubt they'd have any of his sticks here, and I don't know how you'd get your hands on one of Todd's. And she insisted, as women sometimes do, she insisted that at home she had a stick with Ewan on it. And I just said, okay. I said, well, I said, um, when we go to your house at some point, I said, I really would love to see this stick. And we, we had really just started dating, so I, I had not been to her house yet. Uh, fast forward a little bit, and um, first time I go to her house, uh, you know, meet her parents, meet her family and everything, and she's like, oh, hold on one second, let me go upstairs. And she comes down uh, with this old Coho Pro Fiber um, with Ewan on it, and it's a left-handed shot. So Todd is a right-handed shot, Dean is a left-handed shot, and Dean did use Coho Pro Fibers. And he did use them in exhibition games with the Islanders. And I was absolutely blown away. So, you know, if, if Andrea had said, well, I have a Pat LaFontaine stick or, you know, Mike Bossy or Trotty, Gilly Nystrom, anyone that's played X number of games with the Islanders, I could go, yeah, there's a bunch of those around. Um, but when she comes down with a Dean Ewan stick, I was like, wow, this has to be a sign because what are the chances that I meet a girl at an Islander game that just happened and, and uh, how she got the stick was I believe she went to a game and I of course I should have clarified this with her before I uh, recorded this but she went to the game with either her school or a part a club from school and um, they did a trivia thing and uh, she she's a rabid hockey fan so she answered one of the questions right and they gave her this stick it must have been you know, just from uh, from hanging around there from the exhibition season, and she won this stick, and she re- you know she probably had no idea who he was at the time, and uh, brought it home, and it, you know it was like, hey, it's an Islander game stick, that's pretty cool, and lo and behold, she comes down with this stick, and um, you know me, I just said, uh, you know, I have a, I have a few of his sticks, but I don't have any cohos. Can I can I have this? Can I give you something for it? And she was uh, very nice and gave me the stick and also said, I told you I had a stick with you and on it. And I said, hey, you're right. You know, so um, because of the, uh, I mean, the uh, chances, like I said, of me meeting a girl at an Islanders game that had a game you stick from my friend Dean Ewan, who never played a regular season game for the Islanders, but did play some games at the Coliseum in the exhibition season, the odds are staggering against that ever happening. And yet it did. So I believe it was at that point when I said, I'm going to marry this girl. And like I said, this was the 91-92 season. We are now in the 2019-20 season and we're still together. So uh, that's my love story. And we're both hockey fans. So of course it involves hockey. Uh, one thing about this interview, uh, Rivs and I, I had asked him about uh, Jay Bomeister's status. If, if, you, um, uh, if you've been following the story, he had a cardiac incident, and I believe since uh, Jamie and I spoke, he's had at least one procedure, maybe one procedure. I'm not 100% sure, but when, uh, when I ask Jamie, he gives the most up-to-date information, which of course now more stuff has happened so i wanted to clear that up if anyone hears it and they think well he doesn't even know that he had this procedure 
at that point, nothing had, uh, nothing had happened. So uh, Jamie was spot on with uh, his uh, up-to-date. He was up-to-date with the progress in the Bowmeister situation. Since then, he's had a procedure, and obviously, uh, I wish him well. Everyone wishes him well. So hopefully, uh, he can come back. I mean, obviously, hockey may not be in his future, uh, but just to come back, live a normal life. A um, couple other things. Uh, as usual, I'm going to talk about a few other podcasts that I think you might like if you like this one. Uh, Fourth Line Voice podcast, my friend Darren. I call him the godfather of the genre. He's up to 40-some-odd episodes. Uh, latest episode was with Tristan Grant. I think I said that last week. Uh, he's currently in Vegas. I don't know if he was at the game tonight, but uh, I'm assuming he's got a few on the burner for when he gets back. Um, Alec from Five for Fighting podcast just released part two of his LNAH special. Uh, I think I spoke about part one in the last episode. Part two was even better, not so much quant uh, quality. They were both excellent, but he made us wait. And uh, the only bad thing is he interviewed uh, John from the UK, and apparently the first go around was a bit of a shit show. I think they were both uh, shit hammered and it would have been fun to listen to that. But um, I think he posted a more coherent conversation, which of course was excellent. Uh, I would definitely give his podcast a, a listen because um, the guys he has on are, are great guys and the interviews are fun. And especially these last two episodes about uh, arguably the toughest league there's ever been. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, definitely give it a listen. And, of course, the Biscuit Podcast with William. Uh, I, have, I don't think he's put out an episode in a few weeks, but um, he's got a ton of episodes on there, so maybe go and check out his archives. Uh, finally, I would like to say hi to my friend in... Um, I, don't think he, I don't think he lives in Seattle proper, but he's in the Seattle area. Uh, my friend Dwayne Krause, um, really appreciate your support, Dwayne. Uh, thank you for all the kind words, and uh, say hello to your sons i believe you have more than one or your son that i don't remember but uh you're the man and i really appreciate it so uh this is the longest intro i've done uh that's what happens when i record an intro on a night that the islanders play vegas so without further ado i give you mr st louis jamie rivers ladies and gentlemen today it is my distinct pleasure to have on the line, and by the way, it uh, it took it took us about twenty minutes to get him on the line because I'm a technical idiot. But I have on the line the owner and lead instructor of Synergy Hockey, the lead instructor for St. Louis Blues Youth Hockey, the co-host of the Blues NHL podcast, the co-host of the Last Minute Blues podcast. The co-host of the Rivers and Stalter show on ESPN, uh, TV analyst for St. Louis Blues and Fox Sports Midwest, the owner of Gun Media USA, the head coach of the under-16 Car Shield AAA Hockey, and really Mr. St. Louis, Mr. Jamie Rivers. Rivers, thanks for joining me today. Big Joe, it's a pleasure to be on here, buddy. Well. I appreciate your time, and for those of you who've listened to the shows, Jamie is a little bit different than the guys we've had, where guys we've had on the show uh, make their living, one of their aspects of their job is made with primarily with their fists, and as Jamie has said before, 
his style of play kept a lot of those guys in business. So while he didn't necessarily drop the gloves a lot, he was the focus uh, of some of those fights with his, uh, that his teammates had. But as I found out over the years, Jamie has some pretty interesting stories. We're going to touch on a few of those today because, honestly, I think this is going to be an amazing interview based on what I know of Mr. Rivers. So if you're ready to go, we'll go. I'm always ready, big boy. All right, so I can't believe that we're basically talking about you playing for the Islanders 20 years ago. I think once you reach a certain age, time really flies, and you don't keep track of it as often as you did when you are younger. But for those people who may not remember you as a player, on the intro to the, the Blues NHL podcast, the Florida Panthers announcer, as you're teeing off on Radic Dvorak, says, can't let a guy like Rivers continue to throw punches. So, what is a guy like Jamie Rivers on the ice? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, it was it's kind of funny because there was quite an evolution uh, that happened is, you know, I left junior hockey, and for those who don't know anything about my junior hockey career, um, I was one of the highest scoring defensemen ever to play in the OHL. Um, I had a, a season of 121 points with 32 goals, 89 assists, 27 power play goals. Uh, I broke a bunch of records offensively in junior, and, you know, you would think that that would be a natural progression just to carry it on to the NHL. Well, when I got to St. Louis, my first stop, we had guys by the name of McKinnis, Duchesne, and Pronger, and it was made pretty clear to me that those guys were going to carry the torch offensively and that if I wanted to stay in the lineup, I needed to find a way to contribute to the team and be a part of it and basically give the coaches a reason to play me. So a guy like Rivers is somebody who runs around the ice. That you know, Skating was one of my strong points in balance, and I'm a pretty strong guy, so I'd run around and, and just knock the shit out of people. I would hit guys left and right, and I was known for a good hip check, also known for uh, the shark in the weeds, where guys aren't expecting to get the puck, and once they get it, I'm sitting there waiting for them and blow them up, and you know, a lot of those reasons are, are why I kept the tough guys in business, because, you know, things would get a little boring, and I just tell them, hey, boys, all right, buckle up. We're about to have some fun here. And I would go hunt down one of the other better players on the team and just blow them up with a hit. And then, of course, Bedlam would follow that, and people would be trying to kill me and rip my hat off and put me into the cemetery, never mind <laughs> the hospital. And so all my heavyweight teammates who were maybe looking for a little more business at the time uh, they would be called into action and stick up for me and help out. And You know, it, the funny thing is it's not that I, I never could fight because if you actually look at my track record of fights, I, I never really lost a fight in pro hockey. And I just didn't want to ever be known as a fighter. And so this is something that I've never really discussed openly. So, But coming out of junior hockey, I wanted to be an offensive player. And I knew that when push comes to shove, I could throw down. But I didn't want that to be the primary source. And, you know, what I had worried about kind of happened to me anyways, to where I got pegged as just kind of a stay-at-home physical defenseman. I didn't want to be pegged down as a fighter type guy. And it's certainly not because I didn't like those guys. I love those guys. You know I do. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, 
mm-hmm. but I wanted to let my play speak for itself and you know by playing physical and, and being involved I managed to stay on the ice stay in the game and continue to be an asshole to other teams where you know I've spent five ten minutes and I'm kind of irrelevant to the game at that point so believe it or not it was all kind of this master strategy of uh, maybe a genius or an idiot I'm not sure maybe a question of both yeah, it could, it could fall in both categories for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned your first stop was St. Louis, and I believe when you were in St. Louis, uh, your coach was Mike Keenan? Yeah, my first couple years was uh, Iron Mike Keenan. At, uh, oh, my God. What, what a piece of work. <laughs> Did you like him? Did he like you? Um... Shit. You know what, Joe? I think the verdict is still out there. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't really enjoy him because I found that he just did too many mind games with guys. Not just me, yeah. uh, but with everybody. He just fucked around too much. And, you know, you can play a few and, and get guys, you know, pet the cat the wrong way a little bit and have guys respond. But when it's constantly where you just never know where the hell you stand or if you're playing good or playing bad or if he likes you or if he hates you, it just all, all becomes to be kind of numbing. That's mm-hmm. And so I, I wasn't really a huge fan, and I can't tell you if he was a fan of mine because, yeah. you know, people say the more he fucked with you, the more he liked you. Well, if that's the case, then Mike Keenan absolutely fucking loved me. <laughs> I mean, because my first stint in St. Louis, very first part of the season, he tells me, "Oh, you, you know, you're ma- you've made the team. Congratulations! Go get yourself a place to live." I'm like 19, I think, at the time. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. I'm playing in the NHL as a young guy, good team. Mike Keenan, uh, and then we go on the road, play our first game. Actually, it might have been when I was 20. But anyways, play our first game in Washington, and uh, we lose by a goal. I had a good game. I'd hit a post on the power play late in the game and thought, well, shit, that's a pretty good start for me. Next day, he sends me down. <laughs> and let, But then let the roller coaster ride begin because like a week later, he calls me up. Actually, here, I'll, I'll go over one start of the season for you and try to – Try to stay with me. You need, need a dry erase board at the same time to keep track. But <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm in Worcester, Massachusetts. And Worcester, Mass. is about 44. Good day from Logan Airport in Boston. And that's where we used to fly out of when we got called up. So he, he called me up one time from Worcester to join the team in, in Anaheim. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's cross-country trek this is a serious deal so you know you pack a bunch of clothes they're on the west coast swing you figure yeah you know it's minimum of three games hour into logan airport fly across the country unpack whatever get to anaheim play that night play a good game we won that game next day next morning sends me down oh shit so now i'm flying cross-country again fly into logan airport Boston. They got to drive back to fucking Worcester. Then two days later, uh, calls me up again to play in L.A. So so Worcester to Boston, Boston to L.A. Play the game. We win again. Next day, send me down. All the way back down, Boston to Worcester. Play a game in Worcester. Get called back up right after the game. So back to Boston, all the way back to the West Coast, to San Jose. Play in San Jose, play the game. Next morning, we're sending you back out. San Jose to Boston to Worcester. Then we play two games 
uh, in that span for the Worcester Ice Cats at the time. Call back up. This time I'm joining the team in St. Louis to play against the LA Kings. We win again, playing well. I mean, all things are fucking going on great as far as I'm concerned. And then following that game, sends me back down, you know, back to Boston, Worcester. And at that point, man, I stuck around in Worcester for a little bit. But that was, you know, that was Heenan in a nutshell. So I didn't even know whether to shit or wind my watch at the time. Uh, I didn't know what fucking time zone I was in. At one point, I just tapped out and said, whatever rink I'm walking into, I'm just going to play my ass off. Shit. That's unbelievable. That's yeah. I, frequent flyer miles, though. I mean, I had that going for me anyway. You could have flown around the world three times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay, so let's. I'm going to ask you about someone who is probably the opposite of Mike. Uh, being that I speak to um, former Islanders, uh, a lot of the guys from the um, Early, late 80s, early 90s, spent some time in Springfield and played for Coach Jimmy Roberts, who I believe you played for in Worcester. And I would imagine that you he's your kind of coach. I absolutely love Jimmy Roberts. You know, he was a great coach for me. Um, he, he he really taught me how to be a pro. You know, you, you roll into pro hockey, and like I said, I had coming off a junior career that's pretty decorated. Uh, I'm walking in, I've got long hair, you know, everywhere looking like I'm part of a grunge band. And I've got tattoos all over me, which weren't common at the time. You know, most guys mm-hmm. had maybe one small one. I'm covered in tattoos. And, you know, Jimmy kind of looked me up and down. Once a week, he'd call me in his office and ask me where my guitar was, <laughs> where my band was playing, get a haircut. You know, it was subtle things like that. But Jimmy was awesome. He played the shit out of me. Yeah. You know, he, he made it very clear that if I played hard for him, that he was going to play me. And he played me in every situation, did everything he could to get me called up every time I played well. And, you know, I made the All-Star game, my first year in the American Hockey League. And that's a big part. That's due in part to Jimmy Roberts, who, you know, gave me a platform to play at because we had a pretty good team, but he still found a way to play the hell out of me. And, I love the man. He really, really, really helped introduce me to pro hockey and certainly that old school mentality. And it changed me. It really did. I went on to the NHL and tried to have a more old school approach to a lot of things and respect the game, respect the veterans and the leaders on the team. And it did me a world of playing for Jimmy. Well, I've yet to find anyone who has a bad word to say about him. So uh, so I, that's why I knew that he would have an impact on your career. And I think... Didn't you have him as an assistant coach later in St. Louis also? Yeah, he. Uh, after my first year in Worcester, Jimmy got, well, we'll say called up, mm-hmm. but hired in St. Louis, and he was going to be uh, an assistant coach there. And then he remained there under Joel Quenville once Coach Q got there. Uh, but Jimmy was great. You know, he coached the D, so he's right behind day in and day out. And, you know, he was funny. He would he would make fun of me when I was shitty, and he'd call me out when I wasn't giving the effort. Or, you know, if I was playing hard, he would fight for me to get more ice time and to get more opportunity. So, yeah, Jimmy was our assistant coach. It's a beauty of a man. I'm telling you, what well, we could have a show dedicated to fucking Jimmy Roberts stories. This guy was a legend in some of the shit he pulled uh, over the years in the American Hockey League and in the NHL where 
I'm telling you what, if you pulled a guess, what you should do one time, Joe, is have a Jimmy Roberts special and get all the guys who played for him to tell us Jimmy Roberts stories because it would take up a, it'd be a two-parter. You'd love it. Well, I, I just might do that. I know enough guys who played for him, so I'm going to pencil that in, and you'll be a part of it for sure. Awesome. So um, you have told the story once. Islander fans of a certain age are familiar with one Colonel Brian Curran who still holds the Islander <laughs> penalty minute. Single season penalty minute record, and with the way the game is now, I don't. It would probably take someone four seasons to uh, top his total of his uh, lone complete Islander season. But you have a Brian Curran story. Why don't you uh, tell the people that? <laughs> <laughs> the Colonel. Oh God, I love him to death now, but I didn't like him so much back in the minors. Uh, I was playing for Worcester at the time, and. Brian Kern was playing in Portland for the Pirates, and they had they had quite a few tough guys on the team. They had him and, and Kevin Kaminsky, or Killer Kaminsky, up there, and I believe they had Maya Lois as well, who was no joke at the American League level. Mm-hmm. And Barry Trotz was their coach, and so here's how it goes: we we had intense games against these guys, and I'm watching Brian Kern in warm up, and he's doing half walls like. For those who don't know what that is, it's skating boards to boards. Like, you don't do that on your own unless the coach is pissed at you and he makes you do half walls, you know, over and backs. Well, Colonel's doing these in warm-up, and I'm watching him, and, and look, it, I love the man, but he's not the most pure hockey skater <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. And so I start, like, kind of skating beside him as he's doing it, and I'm kind of making fun of him, and now he's looking over. I can tell he's got the squirrely eyes go on already and it's only warm up and then I tell him I said don't, don't get mad at me just because you skate like you've got shackles on <laughs> and well he was ready to fucking kill me in warm up let alone start the game and, and so we get carry into the game and you know Barry Trotz is the coach there and Trotzy I don't not that he's sending guys after me but look in my first year there I was producing points. I was an offensive guy and it probably a pretty good sized target on me to, to take me off my game or whatever. And so we end up in a scrum near the bench. And this is where I learned a valuable lesson about taking inventory. Um, because we had a scrum going and I was like, ah, fuck it. Not really that many tough guys here. Uh, Barry Trotz is kind of mouthing off to me. I look over and I call him the penguin. And this was like right after, you know, the Batman series where Danny DeVito had come out as the Penguin. Yep. And you look at, at Barry Trotz, and first of all, he's one of the best guys ever, one of the best coaches ever. So nothing but respect for him. But I was just trying to be a dick. Mm-hmm. And I called him the Penguin because he kind of resembled Danny DeVito in in that role. Well, he got pissed off and started yelling at me, and things were happening. And I, I didn't realize that the colonel old shackles himself was on the ice and he found me through the scrum and grabbed me and i was like okay here we go you know like i'm pretty good in my abilities i can handle myself the fucking colonel grabbed me and i'm telling you what he's one of the strongest human beings i've ever ever come across he had the death grip on me and was throwing me around like a crash test dummy and then he had me bent over the boards and was feeding me punches it just, he beat the friggin' wheels off of me. And I remember him asking me after, he goes, oh, how about the shackle 
Eagles now, you little puke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Barry Trotz, too, had to give me a little something after, too. He goes, ah, who's the Penguin now? Um, so, yeah, I got an introduction to Brian Curran that way. Uh, I learned a valuable lesson that a uh, couple things. One, know who's on the ice when you're out there before you run your mouth off. And two, if you're going to run your mouth off and they got some tough guys out there, you should probably have some backup on the yeah. ice. <laughs> or you're going to take a beating. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of taking a beating, and, and this guy didn't play for the Islanders, but I, I used to talk to him all the time. I would go see, uh, see him play when he was with Fredericton. But you also fought a giant of a man with hands the size of a Mack truck. I heard you tell the story about fighting Jerry Fleming. Um, oh my God! Yes. Tell, I got to ask you about that first of all. What were you thinking, um, and uh, how did that one go? Oh my God! Well, one, I still don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> but two, we were playing in the Montreal Forum, and it was my first game ever putting a Blues jersey on. And it was preseason at the time, uh, but still, to a young guy like that's the fucking real deal. Yeah. You know, I I grew up in Ottawa, like two hours away, and we didn't have the Senators growing up so it was the Leafs or the Canadians but for me and my dad and brother it was the Montreal Canadiens just love Montreal Canadiens so playing in the forum as a 18 year old I think maybe nine, maybe 19 at the time was a huge thrill so I was already gassed up you know I mean the adrenaline was through the roof and we go out there and in the first period uh, we had a player by the name of Philippe Bozon mm-hmm. who wasn't a tough guy wasn't a big guy kind of a skilled guy he was from france or something like that you know and he got drilled from behind by jerry fleming and so i knew like as a as a guy young guy you're like okay somebody's got to step up here like you can't just let a guy drill your guy from behind and i kind of looked around the ice and i looked around and i was basically the toughest guy on the ice for the blues at that time Mm -hmm. which at 18 probably wasn't the best option anyways (laughs) yeah right but so I just say, well, fuck it. I'm going to go for it. So I wasn't even planning on fighting this guy. I was planning on trying to drill him from behind and just kind of, you know, an eye for an eye type thing. Well, I go zooming over there. And as I get ready to, like, launch myself towards him, he sees me coming. And he turns and cross-checks me right in the face, Ooh. right across my nose. And... Then the gloves come off, like all in the same half a second or split second. And, you know, he's throwing punches and I'm trying to just hang on. And, you know, it's like riding a bull. I figure if I can hang on for eight seconds, I get the full (laughs) ride and get credit for it. Um, But, yeah, you know, it wasn't a horrible fight. You know, he didn't, like, beat the wheels off me. But, you know, I certainly didn't win. There was no victory to be had for me Mm -hmm. in that one. Right. Uh, But then when I get to the penalty box, I feel like, like there's something in my eye you know and it, it was kind of weird and so i'm trying to fuck with it and, and then i realized well it's my nose <laughs> my nose is actually sideways into my eye socket so i'm sitting there and i crack it back over into place well then blood just starts gushing out mm-hmm. everywhere and i've got the towel and now i won't leave the penalty box because i'm not giving the satisfaction to jerry let alone anybody else in the building, especially the fans of Montreal. I'm not giving them the satisfaction of seeing me leave with blood all over me, right? right? So I'm going to try and make this thing work in the penalty box. I've got ice on the bridge of my nose. I've got towel up. And then finally when you know time expires on my penalty, I skate over to the bench and I 
kind of sort of have it under control uh, and the trainer comes over and goes what the fuck you got going on there and he kind of looked at it and he goes holy shit and this thing is like slipping back and forth in and out of the in and out of being in the socket or not and so you know we go to the dressing room really quick the doctor puts these big sticks up my nose like giant q-tips and he kind of messes around and all of a sudden i hear a crack and he says well i think i've got it set again but now the blood starts flowing again and so i can't i can't go out on the ice with blood leaking out of my nose yeah so they stick these like giant tampons basically yeah i know what those are yeah <laughs> yeah they yeah. stick them up my nostrils and then i go back out to the bench to play and you know they're sticking out by like a quarter of an inch out the bottom of my nose i look ridiculous mm -hmm. And Basil McRae turns and looks at me and goes, holy fuck, kid. <laughs> he goes, you're ugly enough. You don't need to have those things sticking out of your nose. <laughs> and so the trainer comes over and takes a pair of scissors and cuts them off, you know, as close as he can to the bottom of my nose. And, you know, played the rest of the game. And you know, Ron Caron was the GM at the time. And he was super impressed that, well, one, that I went and did that. Two, that I played through it and finished the game. And my parents were there. And, of course, Mom was like, what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> uh, Dad was laughing. And But the funny thing, the best part about it is there's a hockey card out there. My very first NHL hockey card anywhere. It's in the old blues uniform. This is before the red disaster that happened to us in the 90s. I hate that uniform. And, yeah, trust me. Yeah. And there's a hockey card out there that has my picture. You can see I've already got a black guy starting on one eye. And then if you look closely at my nose, you just see a little thing of white out both nostrils. You can see <laughs> the double tampons in my nose. So, oh, man. Yeah, quite uh, quite the hockey card. And I, I can imagine the guy that was picking that picture to be put on a card was probably laughing himself silly. That's, it was probably Jerry. He worked there for a day, and he's like, I'm going to get him again. Yeah, fuck this kid. And not only did I break his nose and beat the bag out of him, now I'm going to really screw him over. Oh, man. Hey, I, you mentioned the um, the old Blues uniform, and it reminded me of someone. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you ever played with them, but if you did, I'd be interested to get your opinion on them. And this is purely a selfish thing on me. Um, he played in Kansas City with, with Dean Ewan, and I met him, and he was a great guy who unfortunately uh, passed away. Did you ever play with Jeff Batters? Yeah, you know what? Uh, Jeff Batters was there for my first training camp mm -hmm. in St. Louis, and uh, he was a heck of a guy. You know, yeah. he, he was a guy that back then was in tremendous physical condition. Yeah. And he, he showed up. When, when guys were weighing in, height, weight, okay, you're gone, go do beer and wings now, uh, you know, that wasn't Jeff Batters. He showed up and be like the only guy working out. And, I mean, he was in great shape. Physically, he was a hell of a defenseman. He'd skate, pass, shoot. Uh, he was pretty tough, too. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Jeff was uh, was a good guy. I didn't really play with him that long. Mm -hmm. I spent a training camp with him, maybe a couple of preseason games. I liked him. Yeah. And he was a nice guy. But, you know, it's just a shame, um, mm -hmm. you know, that he's no longer with us. But, yeah, he was a really good guy. Yeah, I, I tell people, um, you know, I think I, when I went out to see Dean, I think I was out there maybe three or four days, and you by the end of the time i was there like bats made you feel like you were a lifelong friend like that's how cool of a guy he was yeah well, i agree and yeah. you know me i was a little pissant at training camp and 
you know, we've got a lot of young guys and guys in the minors and a lot of old guys, veteran players. And, you know, we were in the same room because we were both defensemen and he was just great, you know, end up going to lunch with him and a couple other guys. And yeah, just a really, really nice guy and helped a young guy like me feel pretty, uh, pretty secure and at home. That's great. Um, so you had a, I don't want to say an incident or a run-in with the mascot for the Hershey Bears. (laughs) Uh, Do you care to tell us that one? (laughs) Yeah, you know what? It's probably good in some ways, but it's in other ways that we didn't have social media uh, back then because this would probably be pretty funny to see it live. But uh, (laughs) once again, I'm playing for the Worcester Ice Cats. Jimmy Roberts is our, our head coach. And we're playing the old Hershey Barn, which, you know, it, it, it's still around, but it's not used for the Hershey Bears anymore. They had a beautiful facility now. But this thing was, when you try to picture an arena, you think of any of the arenas you saw in the movie Slapshot. Yeah. The old wood mm-hmm. seats and steep stairs, smoke that's like resting at the top of the building from people hacking darts while they're watching you play. <laughs> And it just it's gritty, you know, like blood stains on the ice from like ten years ago type thing. Yeah. And we had a pretty good rivalry for whatever reason with Hershey that year, and we had a, a bit of a stick swinging incident happen that game. I mean, nothing for back then. Now guys would be put in jail, yeah. spent for life. Uh, but the mascot, you know, this guy would come out or girl. Actually, it was a guy because we found out, but I, I didn't know at the time. He skates out in, in the mascot uniform, and he would always do shit at center ice and, you know, make fun of the team. Listen, innocent stuff, okay? Like, I'm making it sound like it worse than it is because I'm still, I carry a grudge still to this day. <laughs> no, I don't, but it still sounds good. Yeah. Um, and, and so we'd had a bit of a Donnybrook in the first period, and I told the guys, I said, hey, if that fucking bear skates out to center ice this time and starts fucking around, I'm hitting the bear. I'm taking him out. <laughs> And guys are kind of laughing, you know, and I'm like, no, I swear to God, guys, if he comes out, skates around is one thing, but if he stops at center ice and starts his pull, I'm taking him out. And so, you know, sure as shit, we come out and we're skating around before the second period. Yeah, it was before the second period. And the bear, like, is skating around holding his stick, and then he stops at center ice and starts to, you know, like, basically, like, kiss his ass and mm-hmm. bends over and stuff. So I'm like, fuck it, I'm going for it. I remember telling, I think it was Kevin Sawyer that was right beside me. I said, I'm going after the bear. And I just took a few hard strides. And the bear kind of turned around and I just drilled the Hershey bear. (laughs) I mean, I drilled him. And, you know, he went flying and the head went flying in another direction. And, you know, as crazy as it was, I think the the Hershey bear's team was like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) And, of course initially guys are like stunned but then they're like well you can't hit our bear you know and so those guys like come after me and we have this not a brawl but certainly a lot of pushing and shoving and wrestling and all that shit right before here it starts and you know the Hershey bear is laid out in the corner his head is somewhere in the neutral zone (laughs) and people are horrified kids are horrified as it was going on I'm like oh my god I just hit the bear you know like what am I doing so they pick up the bear and, you know, they, they grab his head. <laughs> Everything calms down. And, 
you know, we played the period, and it didn't go so well for us that game. I think we were down by probably you know, four or five goals going into the third. And, you know, Jimmy Roberts comes in, and he starts kind of giving it to everybody. And then in a Jimmy Roberts way, he's like, well, the only fucking positive here today is Rivers finally finished a hit. Because of, <laughs> unfortunately, it was on the bear, but it was a damn good hit. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, a moment I would love to have video evidence, or you know, in the history of the archives of video world or YouTube. Uh, unfortunately, I don't even think uh, we didn't even record games back then. Well, I think I told you um, a few years before you were in the American League, the Islanders team was in Capital District because when you were in Worcester, it was actually split affiliation with the Islanders in St. Louis. So when the Islanders had their team in Capital District in Troy, for whatever reason, I don't know how it worked out, their mascot was a bear also. And I, and I know that inside the bear was a lady. So uh, oh, thankfully, thankfully this didn't happen a few years earlier in Capital District. So Can you imagine? Oh, oh my God. And she was a small lady, nice lady. And, uh, but I don't think she would have antagonized you, so she probably wouldn't have deserved it. God, I would have felt awful. <laughs> this story would no longer be funny right. if that happened. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, tell me what's worse, getting your uh, face rearranged by Jerry Fleming or needing uh, 58 stitches from a skate? Uh, you know what? I I'll say this. Getting your face rearranged by Fleming was probably worse just because when the skate went through my face... I really didn't feel it. Yeah. It was weird. It just like cut through and all of a sudden my face got like hot. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like it was boiling hot and yeah. then I'm looking down at like gobs or chunks of blood falling out of my face and you know there really was never any pain yeah. involved in it. Now it was scary as shit and I didn't know right away you know, he escaped. I actually continued to play during the play and then the referee blew the whistle and mess like dave's a mess well, rib's a mess <laughs> on this one the trainer came, yeah <laughs> the trainer came running out with a towel put it on my face and then uh by the time we got the bleeding to slow down a bit i went to the mirror and it it literally looked like someone had taken a hatchet to my chin area it was cut wide open and it was weird because it wasn't you know it wasn't like an accident or anything like that but the guy cut in front of the net and he tried to kind of pull it through me and he was leaning back on his heels and I just drilled him with like two hands right in the chest and so he flipped backwards and when he did so his skates came up forward and I remember lifting my head kind of out of the way and as I lifted my head my chin was there and it just went shoop, right through my chin Oof. and then they you know one they're, they're stitching me up they had to do uh, I forget how many inside but it was 58 total stitches in it looked like uh, looked like somebody had put a zipper on my yeah. face. Oh yeah, I can relate to that. Hey, um, yeah, no <laughs> shit. <laughs> Whose skate uh, was it? Uh, you know what? I don't even fucking remember. Unfortunately, was it friendly fire or was it the opponent? Do you know? No, it was the the opponents. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the hell we were playing. Uh, I'll never forget. I'll just waste time on yeah. this for nothing. That's I'll figure right. it out and we'll, we'll get it to you at some point. Oh no problem. So, um, which brings us to the Islanders claiming you off waivers from St. Louis. Now, 
Was this um, this was at the beginning of the season? So did they leave you unprotected for the waiver draft, or were they trying to send you to the minors? No, it was the waiver draft when that thing was uh, a thing in the yeah. NHL, mm -hmm. and every year you had to leave a certain amount of guys exposed, and there was a lot more action back in the day yeah. in the waiver draft because it was depth players, guys that people actually wanted. It wasn't really for sending them down. It was kind of to create a roster spot mm -hmm. or for teams to pick up an extra guy. And it was kind of weird because I had come off a couple of pretty good seasons in St. Louis, and I don't know really you know, where things went sideways, but Larry Flo called me and just said, hey, we're, we're going to be leaving you exposed to the waiver draft. And I remember telling him, I'm like, well, I probably won't be coming back as a St. Louis Blue then. And it was just based on the, the seasons that I'd had and the fact that I knew that somebody probably take a, a, a probably grab me because I was pretty young at mm -hmm. the time and yeah. so it, it kind of sucked at the time because you're building up your, your resume in St. Louis and I'd made a home there and uh, whatnot but then I find out that I've been claimed off waivers it was funny because Larry Blow calls me and says uh, yeah unfortunately you've been claimed off of off of waivers and they go oh okay I said uh, well who claimed me and he says New York picked you up and I'm like oh okay great you know dude I didn't know it was the Islanders <laughs> you know that's what I, I figured I thought, <laughs> I thought okay it's New York and you know your brain's not it's a lot to absorb in the moment and I'm, I didn't even think to say well Islanders or Rangers I was like oh okay and I'm thinking in my head like what have I got to pack what have I got to do how am I going to get there all this bullshit and I hang up the phone, and I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't even know who the fuck I'm going to. And, you know, fast forward to I get a call from uh, Mike Santos mm -hmm. at the time, yeah. who was assistant GM, and, and says, uh, hey, Jamie, Mike Santos, uh, excited to have you on board. <laughs> so then I got to go, oh, my God. I'm like, okay, Mike, uh, which New York team is this? <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's the Islands. And I was like, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't know anything except for what I knew when I was a kid, which was Trache, Bossy, you know, Potvin, all those guys. Um, so I was, it was a little, uh, I was flustered at first. Yeah. Well, uh, at that time, nobody, I'm sure, would have been happy being claimed by the, the team. And it has nothing to do with the players, obviously. It has to do with all upstairs. So uh, let's get right to it. So um, I, I tell everybody that comes on the show that I made for him, this is not a Mike Milbury-friendly show. I do not like the man. Uh, I almost feel betrayed because when he first took over, I really had high hopes. I really thought he was going to be the guy to come in and and right the ship and straighten things out. And I really didn't know uh, how petty he was and how personal he made things. So uh, I guess it's a two-part question. Um, what were your first impressions and then how did that change at all as the season went on? Yeah, you know, he's an interesting dude, and I don't mean in a great way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when I first got there, I, I play, he, they played the shit out of me. Yeah. You know, I came in, and I was playing regular shift. I was playing a little bit of power play. I was playing penalty kill for sure, and I really didn't have any complaints. I mean, we weren't winning a ton of games. But we had an incredible group of guys. Yeah. I mean, just a great group of young, tough, great hockey players. And, you know, so you're sitting there going through it, 
And so my first impressions, I guess, would be that I was okay. I thought, oh, fuck, well, Milbury's not a bad guy. You know, he had a couple of meetings with us where you're scratching your head, and I'm the new guy at the time, and so you just chalk it up to I really don't know what the hell's going on. Um, a couple of erratic, like, impromptu meetings in the morning where, you know, he'd just come in out of nowhere and rip everybody a new asshole uh, in the building. Players, staff, janitors, I mean, you name it. Anybody who was around got it. Um, but, you know, at first, like I said, first impression was like, oh, well, it's just an old school guy, uh, but I don't really give a shit because I'm playing. Yeah. So, you know, now, now as, as the season went on, it does wear on you because there's like this cloud of uncertainty that kind of looms over everybody's head. And, you know, to kind of, I guess, put it in perspective, like right around Christmas time, we always, the Islanders always had a, wives, kids, actually husband and wife, no kids, I don't remember kids being there, but family Christmas party for, it was like an adult when we get dressed up, it was at the Garden City Hotel, which, mm-hmm. as you know, it's a pretty nice venue, especially yeah. back then, was pretty top notch, Yeah. Um, and so we're there, and everybody's enjoying themselves, our record, one is not anything to be bragging about, but we're looking at it as, hey, we're, we're developing a team here, and Mike takes the, the microphone to address everybody and, and kind of just goes off the deep end. You know, he, he's like, oh, yeah, welcome to the Islanders Christmas party. Uh, I really don't even know why we're fucking having one of these. Uh, none of the guys in this room can win a goddamn hockey game lately. Uh, you know, if we weren't one of the worst teams in the league, I'd probably trade or send these guys down, but there's really nowhere to go with them. So... Um, you know, we're going to try to do the best we can and get better in the second half, but uh, uh, whatever. Everything's paid for. Enjoy your fucking night. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. I, I'm not kidding you. And Now, a little bit of that, I may have even forgotten some stuff, but that is exactly the speech we got. Holy shit. And so, oh, oh I forgot one piece, which is actually really funny. And he goes, and I'm about to leave, so you guys can all talk shit about me. <laughs> And he, that's it. Like, you talk about mic drop. It mm-hmm. was like, poof, and he just left it there, and he kind of literally just walked out, and you know, everybody sat there kind of in silence. And the wives, you know, don't really know him at all, or wives of trainers, things like that, people who aren't on the team, but they are involved in the team. Everybody was kind of like, what just happened? And as players, we kind of kind of giggled, and then we're like, okay, he's gone. We're like, all right, let's go, let's party. <laughs> It's all paid for. You heard the man. Oh, my God. But, yeah, so I guess to answer the second part of your question, uh, as it went on, uh, you know, you started to doubt his approach and maybe his direction where he headed. But but I will say this, and I have to be fair. You overlook it because I was playing a lot. Yeah. And I had been given an important role on the team and was playing in roles that I had not played in yet uh, so but for me the the biggest I guess not aha moment but the real kick in the nuts for me was that when the season was over we were talking about negotiating you know a long-term deal with the Islanders and Mike had asked me what my feelings were and I told him flat out I said I, I love being here um, and I, I want to be a part of the solution moving forward I want to be part of the group that when you look back was like this is a guy that we built the team with you know 
And so he was happy with that and whatnot. And then we had the expansion draft that came upon us. Uh, was it Columbus and Nashville, I think, came in. And he protected me for the expansion draft. And so I'm thinking in my head, well, obviously we're headed in the right direction. Or otherwise, you know, he would have just left me exposed and I would have been taken mm-hmm. by one of those teams. Yeah. Um, so he protects me and then does qualify me <laughs> when it comes up for July 1st, which, you know, it makes it look really bad. Yeah. It makes it look like this player was a problem or something, or you're literally trying to fuck this guy because you just protected him so that nobody could take him, but now you're making him available when there's really no jobs available. Right. Yeah. And so I guess my closing thoughts on Mike were, you know, fuck you. I wasn't happy with the exit of how that happened because he didn't have to do that. Right. You know, I played my balls off for this guy, played uh, like 10 to 12 games, the broken foot where I was walking around in a boot but still played through it. We were in last goddamn place. You know, there's no need for me to even play, but I did. I played hard for this guy. And so. Yeah, they're bitter and pissed off about the experience when all that happened. Absolutely. And I'm still pissed off about it. Well, I'm sorry to pick at old wounds, but uh, let's talk about let's talk about some guys who may make you smile. So, uh, as you mentioned, you, with, you had a very tough team. So, there are obviously some guys that were there the whole year. But I got some names I want to run by you. Some guys are only up there for maybe a game, maybe a week, whatever. But since we are everything tough guy on this uh, podcast. I'm going to run some names by you and the guys who were with the team the most will get to last. So, first, any recollections of Danny LaCroix? Yeah, Danny LaCroix. Um, you know, I don't know if he was... He wasn't... I don't think we actually played together. He only that, played one game, so he played yeah, one game with them. Maybe, yeah. I don't remember a lot far as being a teammate yeah. of Danny's, but you know, certainly playing against him over the years, you respected the guy. Yeah. You knew that he was a tough guy and his teammates liked him. Um, you know, nothing negative to say about Danny Lesquia. He rang it every yeah. night, made a career out of being a tough guy, which is always, you know, the tip of the hat to those guys. Yeah. Yeah, we are all the guys I'm asking you about, I am a fan of, so it's you know, and I love and Danny I've known forever since back in his when he played for the Binghamton Rangers so I, I love the guy so I'm actually happy that he, he's a part of the Islanders even for the one game but then he coached for a few years so um, yeah. so also uh, Scott Pearson Scott Pearson is my cousin um, oh you told yeah. me that that's right you did tell me that and he got yeah. a few games in yeah okay yeah he had a couple of games in he was playing in Chicago with the Wolves at the time and we had uh, a little bit of a I don't know, a skid, if you could call that, uh, mid-season, somewhere, I want to say it was around Christmas, maybe right after, uh, but anyway, Scotty came up, played a handful of games, and it was great, I loved it, you know, we got to hang out a little bit, which we really hadn't hung out a lot since we, since the time when we were kids, but, you know, he was a physical specimen, even when we were kids growing up, this guy was a man at, like, 16, and he was cut up like a freaking bodybuilder, and you know, he could chuck him with the best of them. He wasn't afraid. But uh, he lost a little bit of his scoring touch over the years, which is a shame because 
again, I think he fell victim to being kind of pigeonholed into a role, whereas when he was playing junior and when he got drafted by the Maple Leafs in the first round, he could put the puck in the net. I think he got sidetracked a little bit by fighting too much. Um, but nonetheless, fuck, obviously I love the guy. Great guy. You know, hail the hockey player, tips and nails. And real quiet guy, but everybody liked him. Yeah. Um, a guy who's gone on to some success as a head coach, Dallas Eakins. Yeah, Dallas uh, Dallas and I played together in St. Louis uh, first. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Dallas is another guy, quiet guy. He kind of had a long road to get to the NHL, but a real honest hockey player. Played uh, probably tougher than he actually was, which all that means is he wasn't afraid to step up and fight guys, even if they were out of his weight class. Yeah. Block shots, did whatever it took. So nothing but respect for Dallas Aikens. Uh, tough defenseman, played some games in Tampa. Um, Ian Herbers. Yeah, the big boy, Ian Herbers. Um, yeah, he came in and played well for us. He, he uh, like I said, he was like you said, he's a big dude. He came in and, and took a lot of ice time and did good on the penalty kill. Played tough. Uh, real quiet guy. You know, not much as far as rambunctiousness around the room, but really great guy. I mean, the guy that you always wanted to make sure that you invited to the dinner night before the game and, and have him be a part of things because he's just kind of a chill, relaxed dude. I really enjoyed him. Uh, speaking of rambunctious, uh, old Western League teammate of your friend and mine, Terry Ryan, uh, Sugar Ray Schultz. Oh, my God, Ray Schultz. I'll tell you what, this guy was a beauty. Yeah. Uh, he really was old school to the bone. Uh, he liked to, as we all did on that team, but he liked to enjoy his beers and, <laughs> and have a good time. Uh, and he, you know, again, another guy that would fight anybody. You know, he stepped up and, and he actually played pretty solid yeah. uh, for us and did a good job, was physical, blocked shots. Uh, you know, he probably could have worked on some of the skills a little more and, and would have stuck around a lot longer. But, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about, about Schultz. He was awesome. We had a blast with that guy. Um, okay, so now we're getting into more guys who had more tenure there. Uh, Richie Pilon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> where, where do you start? Well. Oh, this guy's a legend. Uh, he's a legend. I mean... You know, you've talked yeah. to guys in the past. This guy, so many things that he was uh, known for. But, you know, as a hockey player, uh, tough as nails. You know, he's built like a friggin' vending machine. He was just as wide as he was tall and strong as a friggin' ox. And, you know, wasn't afraid to fight anybody at all. And now he kind of got a little bit of a bad rap sometimes because he was wearing the visor. Uh, but, you know, people who didn't know... He suffered a pretty serious eye injury, and Richie wasn't afraid to rip his own bucket off when it yeah. came time to throw down. But, you know, Richie was a guy in practice, too. He didn't fall asleep. If you're fucking around in practice or you weren't going hard, you'd get run over by Richie, and he wouldn't even feel bad about it and just tell you, to, hey, you better practice like you play. And But I loved the guy. I mean, God, we had some fun. Uh, we crushed a few beers at the old carousel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he liked to go have a good time. He liked to have lunch that went into dinner. Yeah. And, you know, it's a great team guy. was a great leader. One of those guys that old school to the bone, again, where you eat pucks for a living. I mean, this guy was awesome. 
Well, and for those of you who may not have listened, if you go to part three of my Mick Vakoda trilogy, uh, Mick tells a story about something that Jamie just said about guys in practice where there's an incident with uh, Richie Pilon and Ziggy Palfi. And also, it's worth the listen alone just to hear Mick's imitation of Richie. So oh, God, yeah. <laughs> he does a spot-on Richie imitation. So, uh, so yeah. So, But it's funny what you said about practice because the story that Mick tells is actually pretty interesting. So... Uh, the next guy we're going to talk about is actually still playing. What were your impressions of Big Z? Big Z, oh my God. You, know, you get there and you see this guy and you're like, what on earth is going on here? This guy, he looks like an NBA basketball player. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it was weird because he was still kind of a baby giraffe yeah. in those Islander years where he you know, was this massive specimen, but he hadn't quite, I guess, gotten a handle completely on how to use that big body and now i'll tell you what he z was one of the busiest guys out there he'd run everybody all night long and you know guys wanted to step up and fight him well he'd throw down uh, but you know i love z i love him i still i've seen him in the last couple of years and said hi to him down at the rink um, you're not going to meet a guy who has worked harder at being an NHL hockey player than dan ochara he knows, he knew how hard it was going to be as a big man to stay in the game, yet he's always managed to kind of stay ahead of it, and he works out so hard. I mean, shit, we used to, not we, the players, but the coaches used to have to tell him to get the fuck out of the weight room, yes. because he would be in there, and literally, like, after games, he'd take his shoulder pads off and that, he'd be back there in his lower half with skates on doing fucking bench press and trying to do squats with his skates on. Mm-hmm. And, Jesus Christ. Yeah, just a nut kick. <laughs> and he would do chin-ups wearing half of his gear, which, oh my God. you know, you're sitting there going, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, I'm sitting there in a towel yeah. drinking a Bud Light going, wow, yeah, that's it. Three more, Z. You know, like, but that kind of guy he was. Uh, I, I love Z. Was a fantastic teammate. Uh, was great to, to watch, play, and <laughs> nothing but respect for what he's been able to do. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, uh, One of the many chiefs in their hockey, Mr. Gino Ojik. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gino. Mm. God. He's the, Gino was awesome, man. He, uh, The crazy wahoo, and I can say that because I'm an Indian. Yeah, good. Uh, thank God. I don't want any, any problems here. So. Yeah, no, no. You're clear with me. <laughs> okay, good. Um, but yeah, Gino was awesome. You know, we got there, and Gino and I had known each other a little bit over the years uh, had had a few run-ins to where like I said, you know, I'm out there running around doing rivers things and Gino didn't like river things <laughs> uh, but we used to have Mr. Tony Twist hanging around so uh, it discouraged a lot of people from taking mm-hmm. Jamie Rivers' head off <laughs> but yeah, Gino was awesome I lo- I remember getting there and right away you know, we had a bond from well, one each other, two being Native Americans uh, First Nations guy, I guess is probably better because we're Canadian um, and, and things like that. But I love Gino. He would uh, he would do anything for the team, and uh, you know it's just amazing what he was able to do because people don't even know what he came from. Like we played tier two against each other way back when. When I swear to God, I'm not even exaggerating. Like they almost literally pushed Gino on the ice. Like when you look at. Uh, movie goon yeah. goon when they have that guy where he like literally is like pushed on the ice to fight 
Uh, Gino was not very far off. Yeah. And Gino worked his ass off to become a legit hockey player and, you know, never mind an NHLer for as long as he was. And, and he was as tough as, as they come. And he was probably crazier than 90% of anybody ever fought. So uh, that was part of his, his intimidation was he didn't know if he was going to fight you, hit you over the head with his stick, or try to run you over in the parking lot of his car. So, <laughs> yeah, I love Gino. I love him to death. All right, three more. One guy, this guy, I was so pumped when the Islanders got him in a trade, and he never really comes up in the conversation as far as power forwards go, which I think is absolutely criminal. I love Dave Scatcherd. What about you? <laughs> I love Scatcherd. The old Scatch Daddy. Yeah. Um, you know, look, at, we got Scatch in that trade where we traded Felix Potman uh, to the uh, Vancouver Canucks. I forget what else went in that trade, but we ended up getting Bill McCall, Dave Scatcher, and Kevin Weeks. Right. So when you talk about trades, this was one where Mike Milbury kind of knocked it out of the fucking park. Yeah. Uh, we got three solid young players, and Scatch was awesome. As like he said, that power forward where you know he he. I mean, if you look at his fight card, he fought so many tough guys yeah. over the years. And he put goals in the net, was a reliable centerman, good face-off percentage, and an incredible teammate. Just yeah. an awesome guy to have in the room. And certainly, like I said, we had that young team that, not that we partied. I mean, we did, okay. Mm -hmm. But we just were kids. We enjoyed it. And so every time we got out there, it was like, you know, being in college with your buddies. And Sketch was, you know, a great guy to hang out with, have beers. And it was just... Just a fucking awesome dude. Uh, this guy is a cult hero on Long Island to this day. Webby, Steve Webb. <laughs> Captain Caveman. <laughs> That's what I call Webby because he, uh, he yeah. just sit there and grunt. Uh, uh. <laughs> but, yeah, Webby sat beside me in the locker room. And, you know, I had known Webby for probably three or four years before that. We played junior against each other. Um, and, you know, he was just a freight train yeah. out there. Webby wasn't a big guy. I mean, was never a big guy. But he threw his body around like a Mack truck. Uh, and he'd do anything for the team. And he was a tough son of a bitch. You know, he was a lefty. Uh, he'd get in there. And he was a grip-and-rip fighter. There was no holding back with him. And it was a punch-in-the-face contest. And he dared you to knock him out, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I love Webby. He was an incredible guy. Once again, another guy that was so much fun to have in the group when you're having beers and go out. And just, uh, it really, Webby's one of the guys, the glue guys, that made that year really awesome. And I saved the best for last, best in my opinion, best for last, someone who is one of my all-time favorites. Um, one of the reasons why I can never hate Mike Milbury 100%, because I think it was one of the smartest moves he ever made, was claiming this guy off waivers. And those of you who, who know, you know, you mostly blues talk on your shows and everything like that, and you always will talk about the tough guys, and inevitably Tony Twist's name always comes up. But this guy here, during his run with the Islanders, I think had as much destruction on opponents as anyone, and that's Big Eric Cairns. What are your memories? <laughs> I, and, I, and listen, I love him. I love Eric, and please take as much time as you want talking about the guy. Good, I will, because Karen Z and I are still great friends, and uh, I call him Lenny. Uh, for those who don't know what the hell that might mean, 
there's a book and a movie called Of Mice and Men, and <laughs> there's a big, big, we'll call him slower guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Lenny, and Lenny never really fully understood just how strong he was. And there's a scene where he's got the pretty bunny rabbit, and he's trying to pet a bunny rabbit and crushes the rabbit because he's too strong and doesn't realize it. Well, that's where Eric Karen's got the nickname Lenny from me because I always told him, I'm like, you have no idea just how big and strong you are and, and just how much you could mangle people. Uh, he just wasn't aware of it. And just an awesome dude. I mean, he really, I'll tell you what, God, I don't even know where to start with him. So, yeah, he came in the league as a tough guy and really developed into a, a good, good defensive, physical defenseman to the point where, I don't know if you've ever mentioned this, but Yarmer Yager himself, uh, that year that we played together, said that Eric Karen's one of the guys that he hated to play against the most. Yeah, I remember that, yep. You know, he, he, he was good, and he got there, and he was tough, and what are you going to do, intimidate him? Well, you couldn't, yeah. you know? And, but yeah, Karen's he was awesome, and we had so much fun. Again, you know, him and I were thick as thieves on the road, and we would pull jokes on each other. And you know, once again, uh, if you talked, if you ever talked to Karenzi, mm-hmm. I was great for business for him. <laughs> and I would do that almost on purpose. Uh, he'd be like, or I would notice that he's kind of, sort of, half, sort of in the game, and I just go run somebody. And he'd be like, "You just had to do it. You just had to do it." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, you looked a little too fucking cozy over here, you know, like." Let's see what we can do. And so and we we were partnered quite a bit of that season together. And it was fun. We had a, we took a lot of pride in shutting down other teams and kind of being the misfits that were put together to to play and to try and shut down teams. And we played against Legion of Doom mm-hmm. that year. And, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. Karen G is one of the best guys I've ever come across in the sport of hockey and still to this day when we talk it's nothing but laughs and jokes and certainly remember stories from from that season and, and you know there's one time where Karenzi and I almost ended up in a fist fight in the hallway with each other because the son of a bitch he got me with a pretty good joke as we were on the road and we arrived I forget where the hell we were at and of course you know, they said oh curfew at like 11 and I was like I'm not going in fucking 11 tonight like we're going out and so greg cronin was the assistant coach yeah. and, and crow was the one that kind of had the little team meeting those guys go for a couple but then get back you know yada yada well i get into uh my room and karen's and i were out together so it's not like i was guilty he was with me <laughs> and so we get back in we're, we're not feeling any pain to say the least. We're doing the Islanders two-step, you know, two <laughs> steps left, two steps right. And there's a message on my phone. And in, back then, like, it's a hotel landline. It's not like a cell phone where you get a text message. And so you called down to the front desk, like, there's a message. It was like, yes, there's a Mr. Greg Cronin that called and, and said something about you missed curfew. I'm like, oh, fuck, are you shitting me? You know? And then I call Karenzi, and he answered the phone. He goes, oh, my God, did Crow call your, your, your room, too? Huh. And I'm like, fuck, you know? And so now I'm like, okay, what do I do? Uh, do I just ignore it? Do I just worry about it in the morning? I'm not sure. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I just pick up the phone, and I'm like, give me Greg Cronin's room, please. 
So I call Crow's room and he answers the phone. He's asleep, which right away I'm like, what the fuck? He wouldn't be asleep, you know? And yeah, he's asleep. And I go, Crow, I'm like, yeah, sorry, I, uh, I don't know, whatever. I was just asleep sound, you know, blah, blah, blah. I took a sleeping pill or fuck. I forget what stupid excuse I came up with. And he's like, Riff, I don't fucking care. He's like, I'm fucking asleep. What the fuck? Are you, are you telling me you missed curfew? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm telling you that if you came by my room, that I was probably asleep. Sorry. He's like, sure, whatever. <laughs> he's probably thinking to himself, bullshit, yeah. right off the hop. There's right. no way he's like, he was just asleep. But then he's probably like, what the hell is he calling me for? Or is he that drunk that he just <laughs> called me, you know? Yeah. So then I'm like, I called Kenzie back. And I go, I just called Crow. I said, fuck it. I called Crow. He goes, no, you didn't. <laughs> I go, yeah, I did. He goes, oh, my God, dude. He goes, I called the fuck and did that. He goes, I just fucking with you. I go, you son of a bitch. I go, I go, get in the hallway. I want to talk to you. And so I walk out my door, and he's in the hallway down the hall. We just, I start running at him. He's like, no, no. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to kill you. And so we get like an inch of fucking like getting after it. And I forget who jumped out in the hallway and we're like, God, what are you guys doing? You know? And I was like, ah, I settled down. I realized it was kind of funny. I'm like, ah, oh, we're both just drunk, you know? And <laughs> it kind of got tucked away. But yeah, Karenzy and I always came to blow on the road, uh, to blows on the road. And, but it was a great joke. He got me, man. Oh, man. You know, he, he fucking got me. Well, the, the thing I always say, and I know that, you know, you and Kimby talk about this a lot on your show where, you know, talk about his career and how, you know, when you're younger and junior and the minors, and it's a, the job that these guys did, it's tough when you are you sit on the bench, you sit on the bench and you get a couple of shifts a night. And the one thing that I, I always try to tell people who try to shit on these guys is I use Cairns as an example all the time because when he was with the Rangers, he was kind of pigeonholed into that role. He didn't get a lot of playing time. Uh, there were times he sat on the bench. There were times he sat in the press box. And when the Islanders got him, because, um, you know, they weren't, weren't a very good team at the time, there was room for him to grow. And he became a top six defenseman, and he became a regular player. And with that, he got confidence. And with confidence in his playing ability, I firmly believe confidence with his fighting ability followed. And he really just became this monster out there. And it's not that he became a better fighter. I think he did get more technical. I think if you look at his fights with the Rangers to the Islanders, he definitely learned how to use his reach a lot better. But I think confidence and just the fact that he felt the coaching staff had confidence in him as a player, I think that meant the world. And like I said, whenever I hear you talking to, you know, to Kimby about that stuff or anyone else, I, to me it just makes sense where if you have the confidence of your coaches and they trust you in all situations, you're going to want to go through a wall for them. It makes you skate out there 10 feet taller. Yeah, no, you're right. You're, you're bang on. And that's exactly kind of what happened with Guernsey. And you're right. Like, when he broke into the league, you know, he was so big in junior that, that he kind of did whatever the hell he wanted on the fighting side. And nobody was really big enough to kind of clean his clock, you know. And then he got to the NHL, and he was a little too loose with his, his punching or his fighting technique to where some of the bigger guys are going to catch you. And, you know, he took you on the chin when he was with the Rangers, but then he got way better. I mean, he just got bigger and stronger overall. And like you said, the confidence was through the roof when he yeah. played for the Islanders. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just, I can't say enough as to how much he evolved as a player 
and just how much he used that size. And, he, you know, he did get intimidated. And, you know, it's not his nature. And anybody who knows Kernsey, yeah. he's not a guy that skates out there and, like, will start barking at guys right away, you know. And I think that he got to that point, and I think that, you know, guys like me even helped him get to that point because I'd <laughs> stir it up, you know. Yeah. And, shit, I'd make shit up and be like, that guy just said, you're a fucking pussy. And he'd be like, what? I'd be like, yeah. I said, well, bullshit, Karen's going to get you. He goes, that guy's a pussy. I'm here. Yeah. Well, then Karen's, he'd go fucking ape shit, you know. Um, but actually, there's a funny story real quick. Yeah. Is, um, we're playing against Pittsburgh that year and Karenzi and I are partnered up to play against Yager and we're both being vicious with Yager like Karenzi's obviously a huge man tough as nails but you know I'm the one skating around and I'm just hacking him down like Paul Bunyan like you could hear the slashes go off at Nassau like there were shotguns being fired and the referee letting it go and I'm like Mike, if you're going to let me keep slashing this guy as hard as I want I'm going to do it yeah. especially if I could get him off his game. And so they had Matthew Barnaby on that team, and now you know we were playing against Yager the whole night, so Barney never already got out there against us until probably late in the second period. Somehow, someway, he gets out there against us, and we have a scrum in front of the net. You know, Barney wants to try and get at me and you know put a glove in my face and come after me. And he said something derogatory about my brother which Barnaby and I grew up together, and so he knows both my brother and I, which whatever he said, I can't remember exactly, but it really wasn't a big deal because, one, I knew him. I knew he's full of shit, and he's just trying to get to me, and it was just like a laugh-it-off thing. For me, it was. Yeah. Well, Karenzy didn't like that. Karenzy was like, that's fucking bullshit, you know, and then tried to rip his head off, off, off the ice. And then I don't know if you remember this or if you're at this game, um they got sent off the ice and back then look the hallway just you they were, the, the locker rooms were connected basically yep and so when you walked down the hall you could get after each other well they had the curtains pulled but they didn't have a gate or a mm-hmm. cage or anything at that time and so the security guards are trying to stay in between them and the curtains are literally like in between the two guys and then Karenzi's fist the size of a shoebox I guess just comes screaming through the curtains and hammers Barnaby and just knocks his head off in the Mm -hmm. hallway and you know Barney goes back there and he's beat up and anyways there was I don't even think there was a suspension I think the league like fined them or something yeah um but that was funny and then you know I see Barnaby after the game and he's you know kind of busted up and he's like oh yeah great he's your bodyguard (laughs) decided to, to beat the shit out of me in the hallway after Karenzi's like, I don't care. You shouldn't say that shit about you or your brother. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully, I I was not at that game, but thankfully, when they were walking, and I'm very familiar with that hallway, um, thankfully, a camera followed Barnaby, and they basically was, he was walking right behind him, and like you said, you see Barney, and he's walking towards the curtain. All of a sudden, it just opens, and like you say, you just see this giant hand in a white jersey come through and just go, (laughs) whack. And I was like, oh, my God, like, oh, fuck, yeah. He's, you know, like, what you said was true, like, about his personality, too. I'll tell this story. Uh, when uh, we would always go downstairs after the games, whenever, when I lived in Philadelphia, see the guys, and Karen and I were talking by the bus, and this was right after stuff had happened in the media with him and the Rangers and Sandy McCarthy and Theo Fleury, and uh, Fleury had said, 
oh, Cairns throws muffins or something like that. So I said, you know, I'm not really, it's not for me to say, but maybe you should hit him with one of those muffins and see what happens. And he just, he looks me dead in the face. He goes, Joe, I could hurt him. And I go, yeah, I know. He goes, oh, I don't know. Like, he was really, like, just the, just his personality, you know. And it was just the kind of guy he is. And he just had this really look on it, you know, this look on his face. Like, I don't think I could do that to him, you know. And uh, because I think Karen's fist is probably the size of Theo's face anyway. So, oh, my God, dude. You know. He would have bruised his forehead yeah. and his chin at the same punch. Well, and, and here's the other thing. It makes me laugh that you call him Lenny. And you call him Lenny because Lenny didn't know his own strength. There's an athlete that I call Lenny, uh, who I personally do not like, and I'm sure you do because you're a front runner. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is who <laughs> I call Lenny, and not because he's strong, because of his intellect. But that's just me, so you know. Oh God! So. Well, yeah, you're you're, you're not wrong. Okay? <laughs> I love Gronk because I love the Patriots, right, and right. you know he's one of my guys. Right. I got his back. Yeah. But. So. I can see where you'd say that. Yes. But, yeah, Karen Z was always out of fun because, right. I, it, to me, it was always the one scene where he's put petting the bunny rabbit yeah. and he ends up crushing mm -hmm. the bunny rabbit. And yeah. I'm like, that's Karen Z right yeah. there. I mean, mm -hmm. he put, yeah, one time, I forget, it was, it might have been a couple of years later. Uh, yeah, it was a couple of years later, and Karen Z and I played against each other, and I had had my first child, my daughter, Carson, and Karen Z was, we were at the, together after the game and my wife had the baby and I'm like oh you're older <laughs> and he's like oh, I don't know I'm like just don't crush her and, he, <laughs> and he's like you idiot he's like you know I'm not good with this stuff oh, man. Uh, it was good stuff man he uh, yeah Karen's he's uh, a funny dude and you're right he uh, he didn't he didn't mess, he didn't know his own strength and you know, had he had he been more mean on a regular basis, his name would probably get brought up more often with the likes of Twister and those guys. Um, but when you got him mad, like he was going to just absolutely mutilate somebody. Like that whole Sandy McCarthy, Theo mm -hmm. Fleury thing. Like once he finally got mad, it was like there was the body count just went yep. up after that. Oh, so, yeah. No, nah, one of my favorite dudes ever, man. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm contemplating doing at one at one point is I watch his footage from the Islanders just his Islander resume and you know and compare it to the guys who went before him and after him I one of the things I'm gonna try to do maybe just it's a fun thing but I think an argument can be made in his body of work with the Islanders that he is the toughest guy that has ever played for the organization now I know obviously you have guys like Clark Gillies and and Bob Nystrom and Vakoda and Baumgartner and Gary Howitt. So I know that might be crazy to some people, but for someone like all the all the footage, I, I watch this guy and I'm like, I, I think a case can be made where if you do a top five or a top ten, I don't think it's crazy to put him at number one. Yeah, no, you're probably right. Yeah. And, you know, intimidating factor alone, like he's definitely one of the scariest guys. Yeah. You know, like Bomber was tough as nails uh, but you know I don't know if anybody went into that game scared of Bomber you didn't want to fight him trust yeah. me it's not like you were lining up to fight him but you're like terrified now Clark Gillies you know there were a lot of guys that went to those games you know with the Gillies flu right. and they didn't want to play and right. Bobby Nystrom same thing and yeah. like you say it's so tough because you don't want to 
not that you're disrespecting anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know what? You do have to give credit where credit's due. And, and I think you're right about Karen Z. Yeah. His body of work and what he did and in the era that he did it in, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. So um, we touched on it a little bit, talking about Cairns and Sandy and uh, Theo. Um, now, you had played in the uh, Chuck Norris division, so you played a lot of rivalry games while you were with the Blues. What was uh, what were your impressions of the Islander Ranger rivalry? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Like, I had never been part of that until, you know, I was with the Islanders, and I loved it. Like, first game there, I remember trying to run out and just kill somebody because I'm like, I want to jump in head <laughs> first. Like, I don't just want to be in, like, oh, oh kind of like, get, yeah, I want to be like, I want to be able to shit. And it was great. You know, the, unfortunately, at the time, you know, the Islanders weren't, weren't a very strong franchise. At the time, there was a lot of uh, bullshit surrounding ownership. I mean, we had Spano that had kind of come in and come out, and it was just a disaster, um, I guess, both on and off the ice. And the Rangers, you know, we always used to laugh that year that their power play, the payroll for their five guys on the power play was more than our entire team, <laughs> the Islanders. Yeah. And it added, it, it's true, too. When you look at it, it was fucking Yager, Messier, I mean, Leach, you go down the, 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 the We'll pause while Jamie drives through trees right now. Because we were like the red-headed stepchild as far as the New York-based teams behind the Rangers in New Jersey, and then there we were, the Islanders. Um, so, yeah, but it was fun. You know, a lot of Rangers fans would come to the Coliseum. Um, you know, we get a good portion of Islander fans that went into, went into MSG, but you know, at that time, in those years, those were Rangers years. Yeah. And you know, so the Islanders fans, the the faithful, were there, and boy, they were there. They had big voices, um, but the numbers were probably in favor of the Rangers as far as people who would travel yeah. from from barn to barn. Uh, but I loved it, man, and I like I said, I wanted to be in the middle of it as soon as I got there. Great. Now, I'm done with Islander questions, but I do have to ask you about something, and I have no idea what this means. So I'm oh, sure boy. you're going to tell me. Rooster Beak playing beaver. What the hell is that? Oh, God. Oh, yeah, okay. So <laughs> you get to the, the front of the net, and, you know, like as a defenseman, guys used to come flying into the scrum or to the front of the net, and, you know, you'd, you'd shove a guy. And, you know, for so for me as a lefty shot, my, my right hand was at the top of the stick all the time, and my left hand would be the bottom of the stick, which closer to the blade well your natural instinct as a left hand shot would be to let go of the bottom hand and you'd shove a guy with both hands with your top hand being a bob of your stick mm-hmm. so I, hopefully I'm creating the right visual yep. right now. well with and me so, you are so go on <laughs> so as I as things progressed uh, I, I forget who taught, told me this way back when but then all of a sudden I realized well fuck this I'm going to drop my top hand off the stick and keep my bottom hand on the lower part and turn my stick over that way. And now I'm going to two-hand shove, guys, and the tip of the stick is going to hit on the face. <laughs> and so I did it a couple of times, and, I mean, it would knock the piss out of guys. It caught a few guys and fucking, you know, I'm like, holy fuck. I'm like, it's like a goddamn rooster beat. 
<laughs> and so I just said, well, from now on, we get to the front of the net, we start pushing and shoving, I'm breaking up the rooster beak. And so I did that for a while, and then all of a sudden it was amazing. Guys would start hitting the binders a lot sooner coming into the front of the net. They didn't want to get poked by the rooster beak. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was uh, so that was the rooster beak uh, that, you know, came, came kind of evolved on its own. And then playing beaver was, you know, we had wooden sticks. Mm-hmm. And so playing beaver was if somebody kept running you over and over and over and as a defenseman you know guys on the four check there's not much you can do it is what it is but when you're holding the offensive blue line and wingers are always taught go through the defenseman right so that every time he's uncomfortable making that play to keep the puck in the zone well they would come flying in and they'd always listen headshots were part of the game you try to take somebody's head off back in the day and it just it is what it is and so finally, I remember Basil McRae teaching me this, and it might have been right after training camp in St. Louis, to where he's like, you got to introduce him to the beaver. <laughs> and I'm sitting to myself, I'm like, did he just say that? And I'm like, are we thinking the same thing here? And he's like, let him gnaw on the stick. And I'm like, what the fuck's he talking about? And then we kind of talked a little bit, oh, I get it. So then I would get the puck in on a transition or at the offensive blue line, you make the pass, and this guy just, you know, finishing his hit back in the day, three, four seconds late, and he would come screaming into you, and you just turn with the stick already up in the air and put it right in his teeth. And huh? So we're like, yeah, you want to fuck around? You're going to play beaver, gnaw through this wood for a while. <laughs> and again, you know, guys would, uh, guys would start tapping the brakes a lot easier or it wouldn't take much, as much of a run as knowing that there's a possibility that they'd be playing beaver and gnawing through your stick half the game. Well, I have to be honest with you. I didn't know where the answer was going to go. Um, just like <laughs> your just like your reaction to when Basil brought it up, when you said that, I go, oh, man, I don't know where this is going. Knowing you like I know you, I was like, oh, I got to ask it, but I don't know where we're going with this. The, the podcast is already explicit, so it would have been okay. But uh, yeah. I, I didn't think it was an on-ice thing. So. Yeah, no, it, it's an on-ice thing. Uh, uh, I'm sure we can talk about enough beaver uh, well, off-ice stuff, you know, too. <laughs> so I think save that for uh, Biz and Spittin' Chicklets, I think. I yeah. think that's more their style. Yeah, exactly. So um, any anything else from your season with the Islanders that uh, maybe I didn't touch on that I didn't know about that you think is interesting, or did we pretty much hit it all? I think we got it. There's one story that was two stories that were funny, um, and I'll, I'll try to make them brief for you. Is we we lost at home to Pittsburgh. I forget when in the season, but we were it was back to back. We played at home against Pittsburgh, and the next night we were in Toronto to play the Maple Leafs, and we got the doors blown off us in Long Island. I think it was like seven nothing or something like that. I mean. We weren't even, like, on the podium. Like, we finished fourth in that game, and <laughs> it was bad. So we fly to Toronto, and we, we get to uh, the hotel, and, and Butchie, Butch Goring is our head coach, mm-hmm. which Islander legend, and yeah. I guess Jersey going to be retired soon, yeah. uh, which is great for him. And he stands up at the front of the bus, and uh, he says, Everybody, uh, get your keys, put your bags in your room, and, and get to my room. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, this had happened before, and we had to watch a video at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, and just like, oh, fuck. So, anyways, we, we do, as we're told, 
and we get to Butchie's room, and we walk into his room, and dude, his room is covered in beer. <laughs> covered. Like, coolers full of beer. And we're like, okay, we come in and grab a seat. And he goes, all right, boys, there's times in the season where uh, it's easy to motherfuck each other. It's easy to blame the guy beside you. Uh, this is where we need to come together a little bit. And so I've ordered all these beers, and nobody's allowed to leave until every beer is drank. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'm like, all righty then. So, you know, we, we pulled up a chair, and we demolished that room. Uh, and I mean, nobody left there walking straight. And we had pregame tape the next day, which was, God, it was a disaster. <laughs> but then Butchie just said before the game, look, boys, we did our thing. You know, we're a team. And sometimes you just play better guilty. And he goes, let's hope it's one of those nights. <laughs> and we went out. We beat the Leafs that night. We won the game by a goal. And, you know, we, we pulled through and. It was just a real memorable moment because, you know, it was one of those times where you had a really old school guy in Butch Goring, uh, pulling out really old school methods as far as bringing the boys together, and then it worked. Yeah. You know, we won the game, and it's not like we went on to win the cup or anything, but it's still obviously if we're still if I'm still talking about it right now, yeah, then it had an impact uh, on the season. So that was that was one of them, and the other one was we were playing in Philly one night and the game was before we went on the road and we were leaving for Phoenix like that night and we we're going to be two days in Phoenix before we played the actual game and so we get to overtime actually it was one nothing for Philly and then actually shit I think I scored to wow. make it 1-1 it was my only goal of the season yeah. it was that game and then we get to overtime we're tired. We're beat up. I mean, shit. We're the Islanders playing the Flyers. Like they have the fucking Legion of Doom yeah. over there. And Butchie calls us in. And he's like, "All right, tomorrow is supposed to be a day off uh, when we get to Phoenix. You guys win two days off." <laughs> and we're like, Aah! like everybody starts going nuts, and I'm sure Philly was looking over, like, "What are those guys cheering about?" Like overtime hadn't even started yet. And we're like celebrating, yeah. and so we go out there and we win in overtime. I think I think Marius Turkowski scored, mm -hmm. which was all just too fitting because of all the guys who probably wanted two days off. Chow was definitely one of the guys. It uh, was like that one. Yeah, I bet. I and bet. so, as soon as we win, I start trying to put the pieces together from my days in St. Louis to where a bunch of the guys had. We used to go to Vegas when we flew out. West and Neil Lewis, the president of the MGM, would send a plane. Not for me because I wasn't a big will, but I'd jump in with like Holly and those yeah. guys and fly private jet, land right behind the casino. Mm -hmm. So I call Neil at MGM and I'm trying to set this up. Uh, and when we get there, he doesn't have a plane available. So I just say, well, screw it. We'll just jump on a commercial flight. I mean, it's only like 35 minutes or something from Phoenix as it is, and it was like Southwest. It was a cheap flight. Nobody cared. Mm -hmm. And so we got a group of guys together, and it was myself, Eric Cairns, Brad Isbister, Mary Strakowski, Ole Jokinen, uh, and Josh Green. Mm -hmm. And so we 
we head out to Vegas, and Neil Lewis had hooked us up at the MGM with a massive suite. Uh, so we got there, and we got a chance to, to party and party like rock stars. And you know, everybody else had stayed in Phoenix. And <laughs> what's funny was Butch he was like, "Where the hell are those guys?" And they're like, "We haven't seen them since we landed." You know. <laughs> So we, we went from Phoenix to Vegas, partied for two days, uh, and then flew back. And then, of course, inevitably, we got the doors blown off us the next <laughs> night in Phoenix. But yeah. uh, it was a good time. And Ole Jokinen was a young guy, a really young guy at the time, just a great dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Finnish guys, right, where yeah. they're either completely sober or they're fucking shit-faced. Yeah. Like, there's no in-between. <laughs> yeah. And so we went to Vegas, and poor Ole didn't even make it out of the hotel room. Oh. He was so shit faced from the flight, and then us getting there, having a few before we were ready to go out, and, you know, do whatever. Poor Oli never made it out of the hotel, and we came back at whatever time it was. And Oli was asleep in the middle of the room with a Red Bull in one hand and a bottle of vodka in the other. Poor guy. <laughs> but nonetheless, a good time. And like I said, it just sort of, I guess, reiterates just how how close we were and how what a great bunch of guys. Oh, that's great. So I have four questions left before we get to your ex-teammates. So two of them are, involve coaches, one with Islander ties and one with just me ties that I know them. Uh, in San Antonio, uh, you play for Scott Allen, former assistant coach with the Islanders. What are your memories of Scotty? Pee-wee. Yeah. <laughs> Pee-wee. Yeah. Uh, Scott Allen was awesome. You know, he... Uh, he really has worked hard over the years to, you know, get credit to to be an NHL coach. You know, he's not a big guy physically. You know, was he five 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 six yeah. something like that? And he never had the polished road to through pro hockey. Played in the minor minor leagues and was a top scorer in like the old iron leagues that were buzzing around back in the day. But I loved Pee Wee. I thought Scott was a really good guy he was a great communicator uh, the guys always liked him and you know he worked extremely hard so uh, I was always a big fan of Scotty Allen and I'm so happy when he started to get NHL opportunity uh, because he worked his dick off to yeah. get there and you know to see him with the Islanders for a stretch was awesome and then to see him pop up again in Phoenix or in Arizona rather with the Coyotes was great and now he's down in Hershey, of all places, continuing to coach. But uh, awesome guy. Loved playing for Scotty. Yeah. And then, uh, speaking of Pee Wee, uh, in Ch- uh, your year with Chicago, the assistant coach was Smurf, Jason Christie. Old Horsehead. I never heard Horsehead. Everyone calls him Smurf. Oh, my God. I used to call him Horsehead because he had that uh, that long mullet yeah. that he had back in the day. Uh-huh. It looked to me like he had like a horse's mane hanging <laughs> off the back of its head. And his head was rather large next to the size of his body, mm-hmm. so I called him horse head. Now, he probably didn't appreciate that, but I can't imagine he appreciated <laughs> Smurf either. Well, well, I mean, you know, I guess what would be worse, being called Smurf or Stretch, let's say. Yeah, you're right, exactly. Yeah. Pick your poison. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, Jason Christie was one of those minor league gritty guy. Well, again, not another, not a big guy, yeah. but played a long time in pro hockey and, and survived for one thing, uh, and then went on to, to coach. I think, uh, shit, he might still be coaching. I'm not yeah, sure. I forget where. I, think, I want to say somewhere in Florida, I think, but I'm not 100% positive. Yeah, he's kept grinding away. He's had a, a couple of American Hockey League 
stint as a coach. Uh, Chicago, that one year, he was the D coach. And, yeah. you know, I mean, shit, I played against him and whatnot. And mm-hmm. so our relationship, like, there really wasn't a whole lot of coaching going on for me right. at that point. I mean, yeah. I was uh, one of the oldest guys. Well, actually, I was the oldest guy on the team. And, you know, if I didn't know what I was doing by then, <laughs> there's a problem. Yeah. Well, he played on one of my all-time favorite lines when he was with Portland. Uh, play with Kevin Kaminsky and Kerry Clark, so that was always fun when those three guys were out there. So, yeah, know. fun for them. <laughs> yeah, and for me in the crowd, not the opponent. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm gonna. I have two left, but I saved the best for last. So I'm gonna jump to 2012 when you were the coach of the St. Charles Chill. Uh, first of all, I gotta know how did that come about. And then I have to ask you about one of your players with New York ties. I don't know him. I never heard of him. But you had a player named Anthony Pisano who had 90, <laughs> 96 penalty minutes in 17 games. So so tell me about the whole chill experience here. Well, the, the Central Hockey League um, had expanded uh, by uh, two teams that year. And one of them was in St. Louis, a little suburb called St. Charles, Missouri. And... The other team was in Brampton, the Brampton Beast, up in Toronto, and so they were looking for you know head coaches. And I had just literally been out of the game for shit, maybe a year at that point. And so I threw my name in the hat, and lo and behold, I got the job. And then through an ownership change before the season even started, uh, I got asked to be the general manager. So I was head coach and GM of this team, and. You know, it's one thing being the head coach, but being the GM in a league that doesn't really operate like any league you've ever played in. Like, those lower minor league teams, like, it's a shit show. Yeah. You know, you guys are, are, you know, making a couple hundred bucks a week. You're trying to, you're basically a used car salesman trying to get these guys to either play or you're trying to sell guys. or It's wacky. It, it's the Wild West when it, when it came to those, those leagues. Uh, but you know what? All things considered, you know, we, we didn't have a great year as far as wins and losses, but our attendance got better as we went on. And then, unfortunately, the team got squeezed out because uh, it got the league itself got swallowed up by the ECHL. And, and our owner of the Chill was also the owner of the Kansas City Mavericks okay. at the time. And so the ECHL had a rule in place that you weren't allowed to own two teams in the league. And because obviously some corruption going on there. Um, So he had to drop one of the teams. Well, are you going to drop the team in Kansas City that's been making you money hand over fist and you're selling out every game? Or are you going to drop the team that's been in the league for one year and you're still trying to protect Obviously, you get rid of the the chill at the time. Yeah. Um, So that, unfortunately, that came to an end almost as quick as it came to fruition. But yeah, we had old pizza is what we (laughs) called him. Um, I got, you know, as you're putting a team together, you're kind of buying guys. And look, it's more lower minor pro hockey. We better be tough. Yeah. In my opinion, you better be tough. And good, tough guys sell tickets. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. And I never wanted to ever, ever be on a team that ever got pushed around, let them coach or manage a team that was soft. And so uh, I was looking for guys who could come in and play that role. And then a guy that from the Massachusetts area. Now he lives in St. Louis, but Ed Campbell. Oh, Ed Campbell. Yeah, Eddie I know Campbell him. Yeah. played forever in the American League yeah. all over the place. His brother Jimmy Campbell yep. and I were rookies together in St. Louis. So Eddie was going to 
uh, was going to be my assistant coach. And then he decided, well, he wanted to play another year or something. But anyways, he goes, but I'm telling you, he goes, there's a kid that I played with in the federal hockey league. Huh. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, there's no way he's a fucking goal scorer if you're <laughs> telling me about a guy in the federal hockey league. Right. He's like, no. He goes, this monster, though. He's like, he's 6'6", 255. He's a killer. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. So I started finding video of this guy. And he was just mangling guys yeah. in the federal hockey league. Now I know it's not the NHL, and it's not even the AHL. Right. Uh, but still, he's an intimidating dude. Mm -hmm. And so I signed Pizza, and the first day he comes in, he, he walked into my door as a GM, and he's a mountain of a man. Like he's huge. Yeah. And he's bald got like this big long Fu Manchu like he just looked like he had just done like 10 years of Rikers <laughs> like it was like unbelievable and so yeah he wasn't the greatest player right uh, obviously but I tried to find a role for him in every game and you know he pizza had some learning to do when it yeah. came to <laughs> how to how to do his role without causing complete pandemonium yeah. and so he would go out there and literally just like grab guys or go over to the other bench and challenge the entire bench or you know go start a five on five brawl or run the goalie and which was all kind of entertaining I guess if you're watching it from a fan's perspective um, but yeah he got a ton of penalty minutes and he was probably the most feared guy in the league in such a short period of time but then he tore all the ligaments in his thumb oh. in one of the, the fights that, well, a fight, we had like a brawl, and he had like two guys that he was fighting, and he tore all the ligaments in his thumb and had to have surgery and basically put him out for the season. Mm. Uh, he could have come back, but you know, he wasn't able to fight at all, and unfortunately, he wasn't a goal scorer. So. Right. Um, but he was a good kid, tough as nails, a monster, a guy you certainly wouldn't want to run into in a dark alley. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it brings me to my final question. So for people who have listened to all my episodes and will listen to the future episodes, so I got some pretty pretty guys on the show, going to have some pretty, pretty tough guys on the show. They all have great stories, but none of their stories are going to top the question I'm about to ask you. While playing overseas, you actually died. Can you, uh, nobody, nobody else that I'm ever going to have on the show to be able to say that they died and came back. So please explain that to everybody. Yeah. Talk about tough guys. Hey, eh? that's I'm, pretty tough for you, Joe. That's, that's, mean, only, you know, the, only, you know what it's like. Yeah. Well, I listen, you even have that one on me. Cause I wasn't, I didn't get the rights read to me at, at uh, any point. I might've been close, but I mean, you got me on that one too. <laughs> All right, well, all right, okay, so here goes. I'll try to give you um, a, a brief version of it because otherwise it's a podcast within itself. But okay. if people, before I even get started, if people want to dive into this more that are listening, all they got to do is go to Google and Google Slapshot Diaries, comma, Jamie Rivers. And the whole the video of the hit that caused it all is on there. Oh, as well as the whole story. So, to get back to the story, uh, we're pl I'm playing in Croatia, of all freaking places, right? Like, you know your career's headed down the drain or to the end of the You're in Croatia playing ice hockey. And we're playing, we're actually in a little area called 
Jezenici, which is Slovenia. So I'm in Croatia. I'm playing in Slovenia on the road. <clears throat> and we're down by a couple of goals. And I'm sick of it all. And, you know, the league over there is not blessed with a lot of tough guys. And so I told my centerman, who was a Canadian guy, Greg Day, I said to him, I go, uh, hey, after the face-off, I go, first of all, I go, lose the face-off. And then I go, just let your guy go. And he's like, what? I go, just lose the face-off and just let him go. And so he loses the face-off. The other team goes D to D quickly. And then they go to fire it up to the center. He's wide open, right? Like, look. Well, shark in the weeds. Uh, me sitting there, and I'm just waiting. And as soon as I see that D-man about to pass it up to the guy, I step up. Huh. And... I mean, I obliterate this guy. And you'll see it on the video uh, in that Slapshot Diaries. He's out cold. And the doctors are jumping on the ice. And, you know, all this. Nobody even comes after me. Like, mm-hmm. I literally go skating around, like, skate by the, the, the corpse, so to say. And yeah. anyways, I, I finished the game. We end the game. I get an assist. I finish the game. And we drive back. Croatia and when I get back to Croatia my wife and my four kids had been visiting for the holiday and the new year and it's time for them to go back to St. Louis so their flight I Joe I'm not kidding you I get off the bus I get back to the apartment they're waiting for me I load up all the bags in our truck and I drive them to the airport because they're on their way back to St. Louis from uh, Zagreb Croatia and so I get them off to the airport. Everything's done. I get back to the apartment. I'm obviously exhausted. I lay down, and I, when I wake up, I can't move. Like, when I say I can't move, I've got pain throughout my entire body, like never felt before in my life. And I, I can't even explain to you how, how much it hurt. And I've been through everything, and this was like I never felt this before. And so... I think I've got the flu, you know, stupid asshole me. I'm like, oh, I just got the flu, it's body aches, you know? And so I take a few Dayquil or Advil cold and sinus and I go back to sleep again. But when I get back up the next time, which is short, it's like 35 minutes, I'm being knocked at by Frank Bannum, mm-hmm. who played over there. Frank E. Bannum is an amazing guy. But I, I go to answer the door and he looks at me and goes, Jesus Christ, you look like shit. And I'm like, well, it's nice to see you, too. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah. he's like, you look at your team. I'm like, no, nah, I just feel like shit, uh, you know, flu or something. He's like, well, I'm going to the grocery store. Um, you know, you want anything? Nah, I'm all right. I'm just going to. I said to him, I go, I'm probably just going to take an ambient and go to sleep. And so he's like, all right, well, see you later tonight or tomorrow then. I'm like, okay. So I get back inside and now. I'm really in pain, and I'm starting to worry a little bit, so I call my mother-in-law. I can't even call my wife because she's flying. Yeah. Don't forget now, this family's like crossing the ocean. Mm-hmm. And she's listening to me, and she's like, that doesn't sound right. Like, you should go to a hospital. And I'm like, hospital in Croatia? I'm mm-hmm. like, fuck that. Yeah. You know? I'm like, I see a hostel. I ain't going there. <laughs> and anyways, fast forward a little bit. I feel like shit. I finally bite the bullet and call our trainer who didn't speak barely any English. And I try and explain to him and finally just like, I need to go to the hospital. So he shows up to get me and he sees me and I can see in his eyes that 
I obviously don't look very good to him. Yeah. And so he drives me over to the hospital. I get there, and I remember sneezing at the hospital and dropping, like, to my knees yeah. because the pain was so bad. And so the hospital reacts, and they're trying to go into, you know, whatever emergency mode that they think, or they don't even really know what's going on. Yeah. And nobody really speaks any English. Right. So it's really confusing for all of us involved. Anyways, I'll chop a bunch of the story out because it's kind of bold. But fast forward to where they find a guy who finally speaks a little bit of English. And he comes and tells me that, you know, we did an ultrasound. Your abdomen is full of fluid. Oh, God. I'm like, I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, we don't know. Yeah. He's like, it's full. He goes, we can't tell anything. You're full of fluid. So I'm like, so what do we do? He's like, well, we're going to have to make a small incision and go in the camera and try to figure out what's going on. Oh, my God. And I'm like, okay. And I go, well, well what? so what if you can't figure it out from that? He goes, well, then we're going to have to cut you open and dive in further and see. He's like, right now, he's like, I can tell you because I don't know. Shit. So I'm like, all right. You know, at this time still, I'm just thinking to myself, it's just nothing. Yeah. You know? fucking who cares and now my wife is calling me on the phone over there it's my European phone or no it's my North American phone that she's calling which was like five dollars a minute basically <laughs> and she calls and I answer the phone and she's like where are you I'm like I'm at the hospital why I'm like I'm not sure yet. you know I'm trying to figure it out she's like no why are you at the hospital I'm like I don't know you she goes well who are you with I go with me she goes wait you're hurt I'm like, yeah. She goes, what the fuck is going on? And I said, I don't know. And so now they're putting me in a wheelchair as I'm talking to her. And we're going down. We went down like two or three floors down. Like not up. We went down. And now I'm wheeling down the hallway and it's like single bulb lights. Like right out of the movies. I'm not yeah. kidding you. Yeah. I'm watching these things. And I'm like, I'm going to die because I know he's coming to get me. And these aren't really doctors, yeah. you know? That's what I'm thinking in my head. And so we get to the operating room, and I'm still on the phone. Imagine that. Yeah. I'm still on the phone. And finally, I'm like, I got to go. And she's like, well, when will I hear from you next? I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I have no idea. She's like, well, are you going to be okay? I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that was it, you know? Yeah. So open-ended. And so she's got to leave the conversation with that to go on. Mm -hmm. like, and uh, I hang up the phone. Uh, and I went in there with like a full like track suit or track pants, tennis shoes, t-shirt, and uh, they just took my t-shirt off, started shaving me down, and then the guy looks at me and says, I'm going to get you very high. I was like, okay, fuck yeah. it, it's a party, you <laughs> yeah. know? And so he sticks me in the arm, and then all of a sudden I remember like falling asleep or getting wacky, whatever you want to call it, and then I wake up. When I wake up, remember I went to sleep with all like half of my clothes on, including shoes. Yeah. I wake up, I'm laying on a steel table, butt naked, oh, in the corner of a room, and I'm trying to figure out where I am, what happened, like totally discombobulated at this time, and so I go to get up, and of course I have a shooting pain through my midsection, abdomen. Yeah. And I go, oh, fuck. And everybody stops that's, like, in the room and then, like, start running over to me. 
and they throw a blanket on me, they plug in an IV, they put a pillow under my head, and like all of a sudden, you know, they're running me down to another room. At the time, I'm like, okay, I guess this is standard procedure, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's part of the process. It's part of the process. Mm -hmm. And so, anyways, I get into the room, and then I'm monitored in intensive care for like three, four days. They moved me to a regular room after that, and I'm in there for you know, a little while. And when I get out, I still have staples that are running through me. I look like Edward Scissorhands had gotten a hold of my abdomen. Or yeah. that I'd like prison shamed. I mean, look, you know of all yeah. people, right? Like how it looks. It's yeah. just like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I finally get out of there and I'm missing a bunch of details. But yeah. like I said, people can read up on it. Um, and I, I, I go to the rink. First day I get out, I go straight to the rink and I start putting my shit on. We got playoffs coming up yeah. in this league. And then the trainer runs in and is trying to tell me something. And I'm like, not understanding. And then finally the general manager comes in and he's like, uh, hey, you need to go back to the hospital. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, the doctor has to talk to you. But what? Just says you can't practice. You need to go back to the hospital. And so I take off all my shit. I'm grumpy as hell, obviously, at that point. Go back to the hospital. And uh, when I get there, the doctor, broken English, uh, basically goes on to tell me that uh, I had flatlined during the procedure that I'd lost so much blood during the whole procedure that I flatlined and that they, you know, had had to jumpstart me or paddle me a couple of times. Which made sense to me at that point because when I first got out, I had all these red marks all over my chest. I didn't yeah. know what the fuck they were. Yeah. You know, now I know they were like the paddle marks. Yeah. And um, then he goes on to show me a bunch of documentation and then basically he's like, well, I don't know if you even want this, but He's like, you know, it's a certificate we had to fill out because, uh, and I don't know if it's like this in North America, mm -hmm. but over in Croatia, if it was like over two minutes where you flatline, they basically pronounce you dead. And Shit. so it was like two minutes and 24 seconds, I think, that I was out or gone, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so they had the, the certificate, so he put it in my file, and then he went on to tell me, like, yeah, you're done. <laughs> you're, you're done. Done, yeah. basically. And so that was that. Then I flew back to uh, St. Louis shortly after that. And then started uh, my afterlife as far as hockey goes. So yeah. it's a, it was a wild ride, that's for sure. Wow, that's crazy. And I, I always tell people, like in my, in my uh, situation, I didn't literally die, but I, I tell people that the person that got on the subway that day it's not the same person that they carried off. I always say that, you know, it, it, it's it's um, rhetorical in a way that I say it's the day that I died because I almost feel like I got a second chance where maybe I shouldn't have, where you literally were dead. So that's ridiculous. That's insane. It's insane. Uh, well, I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. It, yeah. it, uh, it was a bumpy road after, for sure, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but... Everything happens for a reason, and, uh, you know, we're all doing good now. Good. Well, now we get to the fun part. Well, actually, before we get to this, I, I, I wanted to ask you this right off the bat. Um, how is Jay Bullmeister doing? Well, all reports um, right now say that he's, you know, he's doing well. He's in stable condition, and they're still running tests. 
trying to figure out exactly why he went into cardiac arrest yeah. or, or why he had that episode. Yeah. Uh, but scary as shit, yeah. man. I yeah. mean, it was, I went through that well, with Pronger way back when. He got a slap shot in the chest and his heart had like skipped a beat. Mm-hmm. And so he dropped and had collapsed on the ice and they had to perform CPR uh, on him. Uh, and then again, uh, years later, years later, playing together yeah. in Detroit. Gary Fisher fell off the back of the bench and uh, had cardiac arrest in the middle of the first period. Eerily the same. as like yeah. Jay Bomeister. And so when I saw it all happen, it was like a deja vu for me. But yeah, those are tough situations. It's tough for obviously the individual going through it. And I think that goes without saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the people surrounding the team, the coaches, the players and all mm-hmm. that, uh, it, it's an eye-opening experience and hats off yeah. to the medical staff and Ray Barilli has been there for forever now with St. Louis Blues, fuck, probably from like 95 yeah. um, until now and you know he's saved two lives mm-hmm. he's Chris Prongers and, and now Jay Bowmeasters by jumping to action doing the right thing right away and then obviously the rest of the doctors and medical guys did a fantastic job so uh, scary, scary situation, but you know, as it looks right now, it looks like Jay Dolmeister's stable, and, and he just continues to, to get better every day. Good, good. Yeah, I saw the thing that you um, you tweeted or retweeted uh, about uh, Ray Burrell and, and the medical staff and how how it works during a game, and that was really interesting because obviously, you know that there's got to be medical personnel there, obviously. Uh, but you don't really know the whole story behind it, and it was like a two or three minute video, and I I found it fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. even I didn't know what mm-hmm. was entailed in all of it, you know. And, and I've been in the league forever, and their, their procedures and policies have gotten much better over the years. But yeah, they've got you know they they do a dry run before the season starts, making sure everybody knows what the hell they're supposed to do and what position they're supposed to be in and what to use and where to go and. It's awesome, man. I mean, and, and it just goes to show you that that's why they do it. So when yeah. these situations happen, that everybody knows what the hell they're supposed to do. There's there's no panic. Um, you know, there's intensity for sure, uh, but there's no panic. And they were able to save a guy's life the other night because they all knew what the hell was going on. Yeah, well, thank God. Thank God for those guys. Uh, you know, there's nothing really more to say other than that. Thank God for them. So... All right, here we go. So I reached out to some of your ex-teammates uh, to hear your story. Uh, I, I re- unfortunately, I only heard back from about five of them. I reached out to maybe ten, and a sibling who I didn't hear back from, but maybe he was just protecting you. But uh, so we'll start with um, somebody from Sudbury. Oh God! Told me to ask you about your pregame warm-up ritual. So. Should I let you go into it, or should I tell you what what he told me you did? Well, there are lots of things I did back in Sudbury. Um, so why don't you give me a clue of what which one he's talking about? Okay, so the player is Chester Gallant. Okay? Oh God! So he said his pregame warm up ritual: he would soak his hair, his rock star hair, and by the way, Google Jim Rivers uh, hockey cards, and you'll see the hair that he's talking about. He would soak his rock star hair and run around the room like a madman. He controlled the stereo. He'd be blasting Depeche Mode. Did 
Did you faint? What's that? Sorry? Did you hear me? Because I didn't hear you. Uh, no, I think I just lost you for a bit. The last thing I heard is he was blasting to patient mode. Yeah, that was it. So you, you, you soaked your mullet, your giant rock star hair, and you'd run around the room like a madman, and you also controlled the radio, and you would blast to patient mode. So uh, care to comment on that? <laughs> well, look, I always had a ton of energy, mm -hmm. and... You know, that was my way of trying to drag everybody into the battle with me was that, you know, I, I said once I soaked my hair, like it's go time, like we're going now and everybody better be ready. And, you know, you get a hold of the stereo and I remember playing like a couple of Depeche Mode songs, but I was all over. It would mm -hmm. be from, you know, that kind of stuff to hard rock to, you know, whatever. Anything that floated my boat at that time is what came across the radio and I'd be jumping around, and I mean, it was like a, a full performance. And I don't even know how I had energy left to play the game after that because <laughs> there was a lot of running and jumping and bouncing and all sorts of shit going on that, uh, God, yeah, I, I those were good times. And for whatever reason, I still had a lot of energy, and uh, I'm glad Chester was at because, uh, you know, it's lots of fun doing that shit. And hearing stuff from way back in the day, it just makes me laugh. Excellent. All right, so now I got three from Worcester. Um, Terry Virtue. Uh, <laughs> so he up one story, but we're going to get to that next. He had told me to ask you about Jimmy Roberts ringing the bell for trainers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Jimmy, Jimmy had a duck horn, okay? And so Scott actually was the first guy, and he had a duck horn, and that's what he used around the rink and that's what he used in practice like he didn't use a whistle he had a duck horns and so jimmy carried on that tradition and so i started to like like you'd hear like a and like okay and all of a sudden the trainer would go like walking by the door towards jimmy's office and this is before like nobody had cell phones and shit mm -hmm. like that and then you'd hear like two <laughs> duck horns the equipment guy would go by I'm like, okay. And then you'd hear three of them. And both guys would walk over to Jimmy's <laughs> office. So that was his signal. One was for the medical guy. Two was for the equipment guy. Three was for both the guys who wanted him in his office. <laughs> and so me being the dick that I am, I went to the local hunting store and bought a duck horn. <laughs> and so I would sit in my stall, and guys would sit in where they could see, and I'd blow the duck horn. <laughs> and the trainer would walk him by and go into Jimmy's office and he'd be Jimmy be like, What the fuck do you want? And he'd be like, Well you you rang. He'd be like, No, I didn't. Well yeah, you did. No, I didn't. And so they'd go back and forth and you know, then the trainer would walk back to his room kinda of pissed off, like senile old man or you know, whatever. And then, you know, the next day it would be like three hongs and I'd have them both go over to Jimmy's office. <laughs> So this went on for, you know, a couple of weeks. And finally, you know, somebody, I don't know if they ratted me out or if they got smart. They, But then it got back to me that the trainers are on to somebody else has a duck horn. Now, nobody knew who it was. Mm -hmm. And so I took the duck horn and I hid it. Um, and our equipment manager, J.C. Irig, he scoured the locker room trying to find the goddamn duck horn and he never did and so like three weeks later everybody thought it was over 
And I'd be like, and then they would go back because they thought, okay, well, there's no way that's still around, right? And the whole game started over. It went on all year long, dude, to where they never knew if Jimmy was ringing the duck horn, if I was, or or whoever it was. They never found out to the end of the year. And at the end of the year, uh, on our last day there, we get all our stuff. I brought in the duck horn and gave it to the trainers. (laughs) (laughs) And I swear they wanted to stab me. They were so freaking pissed, but... Yeah, that was funny. We had a good time with it. All right, well, good one. Virtue, good one that he brought up. Another one he brought up, and the person that he brought, that the subject of the story also reiterated it. They told me to ask you about doing Flaming Sambuca with Roman Volpot. Oh, my God. Yeah, Volpe. It was myself. We used to go to this, oddly enough, as crazy as this is, as funny as this is, we used to go to a bar right across the street in Worcester, like right across the street. Talk about the good old days. Yeah. We're right across the street drinking after the game. Mm-hmm. And there's a place called the Firehouse. And so myself and Virch and a bunch of the guys are, are there. But specifically, you know, it's me, Virch, Kevin Sawyer, and Roman Volpot. And, uh, you know, I think it was Sawyer, maybe Virch, I don't know, one of those guys ordered Flaming Zambucos. Well, you know, we all knew what we were doing, and you, know, you blow it out, and you do your shot. Like, that's how it goes, right? Well, poor Volpe was just a young kid from the Czech Republic. Well, he t- and, like, slams it while it's flaming. Oh, God. And so, you know, obviously a little bit of it, he flinches, because, you know, he thought it was, like, going to go out or whatever. I don't know what he was thinking. Oh. Poor guy. Yeah. And so some of it gets on his cheek, and now the flame spreads across his face. Well, he's doing a flaming Zambuca, and Kevin Sawyer is sitting right beside him, and Saw Dog just comes and starts smacking him in the face, like <laughs> trying to put the fire out. And so, you know, he here's Volpe just sent down from the blues, and now he's, you know, his face is on fire, and he's just been, you know, put out with a, a big bear paw from Kevin Sawyer and he's got burned skin that's like blistering and like peeling off, you know? Oh my god. Practice the next day. So how do you explain that, right? Mm. And you're like, I have no idea. So I just said, Well, you know what, both we had a bit of a scrum, just tell him it was Jersey burn. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, so that's the story we went with and Volpe shit I'll tell you what to this day he might still have a scar or a little mark on his cheek from that but yeah that was funny as hell the young the young kid from the Czech Republic <clears throat> basically put his face on fire and Kevin Sawyer put him out so oh, yeah. yeah funny story mm-hmm. uh, based on the fact that nobody was seriously injured right right well that's what I had reached out, obviously reached out to Virch. He told me those two things, and then I reached out to Roman, and he's like, "Yeah, ask him about Flaming Simca." So he's obviously <laughs> good with it. So yeah, uh, good, awesome. Yeah. Next, we brought, come up to Mr. Jason Strudwick, a media icon in his own right in Edmonton. <laughs> so uh, while you're Mr. St. Louis, yeah, you're Mr. St. Louis. He's Mr. Edmonton Media. So, um, I will say, he said to ask you about the time Jimmy Roberts gave you guys a string with two balls on each end. Uh, he gu- he goes into further detail. I don't know if you need me to do it, but I don't know if you remember. Uh, I remember we were headed into the playoffs, and Jimmy Roberts was like, you guys don't play with balls. You need balls. If you're going to win a championship, you got to put your balls <laughs> on the line and you know all this stuff. And so 
Jimmy had us make tables with like a string that were sig- you know, tried to, I guess, signify our own personal balls. <laughs> and, you know, he had uh, the, the, whatever, the laundry line that held the curtain up up and he took the curtain down and he said now you gotta put your balls on the line you know so guys of course had fun with it you make some guys made gigantic balls some guys made small balls some guys put hair on their balls um and then of course you know symbolically you you kind of flung your nuts for the line so you're putting your balls on the line for the team and and jimmy made us do that but that yeah that was pretty damn funny okay yeah that's pretty much how he did described it and then another story that's I guess not hockey related he said another time I made him come to come to Thanksgiving dinner to a girl's family's house I was dating he said it was a two-hour drive and he was losing it plus we were all hung over do you remember that oh my god yes I should be I should get the selkie trophy for that because I was like back checker of the year for struts on that play we, he's like hey uh, I got this girl I'm kind of dating and where she invited me Thanksgiving, but I don't want to go alone. He's like, that's just weird to go alone. He's like, you know, let's go, let's go have a good time. And she had a friend that was going to be there. I don't, I don't totally remember, but I guarantee there was a girl involved, or I would have been like, forget about it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, we end up. He's like, it's not far. It's just you know, so and so. Well, bullshit. It was two hours away, and we got to sit at Thanksgiving. And I thought that was like a whole big family get together well it was like her direct family oh. and so you know we're we're sitting there and there's like six or seven people and yeah so you can you know that was kind of uncomfortable and whatnot mm-hmm. but yeah so i did bitch and piss and moan about it because i was like this better be worth it stress <laughs> <laughs> the girl you're setting me up with better be cute or the one that you're going to meet be a rock star because <laughs> this is some serious teammates shit i'm doing here well the good news is he has been confirmed uh he will be appearing on the show also so you can get your revenge so get the wheels turning and we'll get some strud stories going the other way oh i will i've got a ton all right one more teammate and one more buddy so i reached out to shane knighty who you played with in ottawa and he said and i quote ha none that i can repeat so he kind of saved you i didn't want to uh, (laughs) He didn't give me anything that is for public consumption, okay? Yeah. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knights, uh, Knights, and I were, were roommates that year, and uh, we were partners, and we were the misfits because you know Jacques Martin at that time had a bunch of European guys on the team, and yeah. was speed and skill, and Knights and I were, you know, not to that level right. and so we were crashing bang guys back there mm-hmm. and we really liked enjoyed having cold beverages Yes, and a lot of the team at that time was like into protein shakes and we were into well, you know lager shakes Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah we had some fun mm-hmm. you know nights and I uh, yeah we had some fun and probably probably to be uh, those those stories are probably best told over cold beers um Without, without microphone. <laughs> I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> so, it brings us to our last guy here. <clears throat> now, this is a guy who is generally the target of your barbs on Twitter and on your show. 
the Blues NHL podcast. Now, it's a guy I've known forever. I love him. I love him to death. And I'm so glad that he has a platform now. And your show, uh, and people listening, I'm not a Blues fan at all, but I don't miss an episode. You don't have to be a Blues fan to enjoy the show. It's definitely worth it. Uh, Cromer is actually the star of the show, but Rivs is good too. And one of the toughest dudes and one of the most underrated fighters enforcers that have ever played the game and I will fight anyone that tells me different for his resume Darren Kimball Darren Kimball I reached out to Kimby and I asked him give me a good ribs thing and the first thing he said was the whole Al Bundy thing and I said listen if I if I come at ribs with Al Bundy he's just gonna come back with the Buffalo head stuff you gotta give me something better <laughs> okay so Darren Kimball Ask him if he ever played craps in Vegas in his tidy whities in the main lobby. Oh my god. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> what a dick. Oh my god. Uh, yes, unfortunately the answer is yes to okay. that. Um, god, it was in Vegas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have a few, uh, let's say, uh, wobbly pops and mm. You get having some fun and you're, you're gambling a little bit, and maybe a few too many uh, alcoholic uh, beverages at the time. But yes, I, I thought that it was perfectly okay to um, join Everett at the craps table with just my underwear on. And uh, I was questioned about that, obviously. Yeah. And they said, uh, Sir, you're not dressed appropriately. And I said, Bullshit. I said, sir, you're in your underwear. I said, I'm business casual. <laughs> and they like looked at me like I had a third eye. And I go, look it. And I point down to my shoes. Well, I had dress shoes and dress socks on. Oh. And I go, those are dress shoes and dress socks. Therefore, this outfit is business casual. Uh, it makes sense to me. So, And the <laughs> fact that in your condition you could come up with business casual, they should have just let you stay at the table. Oh, yeah. And so uh, they actually let me stay for a while, mm -hmm. uh, oddly enough, because then I threw the argument out there that it's no different than if I just had a swimsuit on. Good. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have all the answers, especially when I'm drinking, and that's probably what gets me in trouble. Um, but, yeah, so I, I did end up uh, in the casino playing craps in my underwear with uh, dress shoes and dress socks on, and uh, probably not my best moment although i do think i won some money that night so it, maybe i should have stuck with it where'd you put it or do i not want to know <laughs> maybe i don't want to yeah. know i uh, uh i know i didn't mule it so if that's what you're asking me i didn't mule it okay, um, I, I imagine i walked around and uh probably very unsafe was carrying it around oh my goodness well that brings us to the end um, like I said at the beginning, it's not my typical interview, my typical subject, but I told you that Riffs had some great stories, and I know I told the truth because that was wonderful. So, uh, uh, like I said, I rattled off his resume at the beginning. Please catch him on all those. And like I said, I do not miss an episode of the Blues NHL podcast. Like and subscribe that show, uh, as I do. And uh, Riffs, uh, I hope I did your stories justice. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, buddy. I'm, I'm real happy to come on here. And like you said, it's not really what the direction you've headed on, down with the, this podcast. But I'm honored that you, you picked me amongst all those awesome guys. And uh, hopefully I didn't disappoint, brother. Never. No, God, no. I can't. And I actually, 
Uh, I can't wait for uh, Kimby to hear the end of this. Hopefully, uh, you know, he's, I don't know, you know, like he doesn't follow the podcast Twitter. I don't know, like he's, I know he's not as uh, computer savvy as you, so I don't know if he's going to listen, but hopefully he listens, <laughs> hopefully he listens to the end where I, I think he got you. He did. I told him so. I told him in confidence, do that, son of a bitch. That's okay. <laughs> He'll have his day. I mean, I think, uh, I, and for those of you on Twitter, really, you need to follow Rivs. you got to follow Kimby. And an underrated part of the trio is Jim McKenzie, who usually gets in <laughs> on the uh, on gashing with the Buffalo Head stuff. So I, I highly encourage you to go and follow all three of those gentlemen because there are days I'm literally sitting in my living room and I will burst out laughing at a Rivs tweet with some sort of <laughs> Buffalo reference at Kimby, and I almost pee myself laughing, and then I inevitably have to go over and show Andrea, and she laughs as well. So it is absolutely <laughs> brilliant comedic moments. So once again, full credit to you, and thank you for coming on again. All right, buddy. I, I'm really happy to have been a part of it. All right, thanks, Jamie. Talk to you later. That was a blast. I really hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Jamie was awesome. And um, I got to say, if you you heard me reference, you heard us reference uh, Jamie and Kimball and Jim McKenzie and their little Twitter go-around that they have. And basically, uh, Jamie likes to poke fun at uh, the size of uh, Darren Kimball's head from time to time. And uh, he's usually pretty funny. I listen. I love Kimby. I've known Kimby a long time. Uh, one of my favorite players ever in the history of the game, and like I said, criminally underrated when people talk about fighting. But Rivs is pretty clever, and a lot of the digs he gets in on Kimby are pretty funny. And then every now and then, Jim McKenzie chimes in, and he's also very funny. Uh, it's all in good fun. They're basically like brothers. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I literally, most of the time I almost pee myself laughing and has nothing to do with the fact that I'm an old man. But I think at the end, I think Kimby did get him. So, uh, Kimby, if you're listening, uh, keep your eyes open, keep your head on a swivel. I think Rivers is coming for you. So, uh, once again, thank you to Jamie Rivers for that interview. Uh, so next week i have an interview lined up that we are supposed to do on monday and i'm hoping that it comes to fruition so i'm not going to tell you who it is with uh and uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that it's not recorded yet i'm going to give you an audio hint so keep your fingers crossed that monday comes to fruition uh everybody thank you for listening and here's your hint as to who will be next week's interview subject 